Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I know you come to the show for answers, and yet I show up and I have questions. Do my questions, do they compare to your questions? What are the Jazz going to do tonight against the Kings? I assume they're going to bounce back. Of course, that's what I assume Monday, and the Jazz did not bounce back. They had deja vu all over again and lost to Minnesota. Now, they were saying on the broadcast, uh, you know, hey, Fox is going to be out. De'Aaron Fox is going to be out. Donovan's going to be out. So no excuses, right? Both teams missing young stars. And the Kings have been playing better. They've, they've got it picked up, what, like three wins in the last week or so. So they're playing a little better now after a long losing streak. But the Jazz ought to win this. They ought to win this. But they should have won before. And now they've they've messed up their, their margin for error. Now they may catch a break tonight. Clippers are playing the Suns. And I know the Clippers only go top speed, it seems like, you know, two out of every three or three out of every four games. They are forever taking their foot off the gas. But the Clippers go hard tonight and beat the Suns. And you know how hard it is to play the first game back after a long road trip? Have you ever heard that? Okay, well, if it's true, it should be true for the Suns tonight. And that should give the Clippers a little bit of an advantage. Clippers win, Jazz win, the lead goes back to two. Give yourself a chance to go up three by beating Phoenix on Friday. So there's still a chance to turn this thing around. Or you could just lose to the Kings and then lose on Friday and be a game down. Those are the parameters. And now Yach is like perking up like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. That's what I expect. Here's the thing. To go with Matt Harpering's accidental yet genius line, law of numbers, when the Jazz won nine in a row, the second time, PK and I were talking about, you can't sustain this. There's going to be a rough patch. And the key is, maximize the peaks, minimize the valleys. Well, now we know after winning nine in a row, the Jazz would go six and six in the last 12. And depending on what point you want to make, you can go back to any point in the season, right? Hey, the Jazz are terrible. They've lost the last two games. Hey, the Jazz really, I mean, they're good, but they're kind of mediocre. I mean, look at them six and six in the last 12. But if you take the bad stretch, and the last two is a bad stretch, a mediocre stretch, 6-6, six and six, and if you also take the last good stretch, the nine-game win streak, you add them all together to get a complete picture, the Jazz are 15-6. and six. And that is basically, over the course of a full NBA season, a 58-60 to 60 win pace. Now, in my mind, when you get to 50, you're good. You're a playoff team. You're a good team. You get to 55, you're very good. You got a, you got a shot at a conference final. You get to 60, they're usually two or three 60-win teams at most in the NBA. This year, I don't know that anybody's going to play a 60-win pace. Maybe the Jazz or Suns or Clips can finish up there, but my guess is the you're not going to win 60 because you're only playing 72, not 82. And also with the congested schedule, either you're giving guys a rest and you're vulnerable loss because you're giving guys games off, or guys are playing, but they're getting fatigued and they're not top level, and you can lose to, um, you're more likely to lose to a mediocre team on a night you normally beat them, but you're just worn out. So the pace the Jazz are going is at 15 and 6 is about the best you can do in the league. Now, if you get caught up in the moment, you can double down on your losses. As Jerry Sloan used to say, you're playing backwards. Forget the last loss. Just go do your thing. And that is the question for tonight's game. Above all else, I want to know are the Jazz going to go do their thing? I know. They didn't shoot the ball well Monday. I know they didn't shoot the ball well Saturday. But 
We've seen games over the course of the season where the Jazz have shot the ball well, they've shot the ball kind of normal, and they've shot the ball lights bleeping out. One thing doesn't always guarantee the next. They don't have to struggle from three tonight. Are they going to wipe the slate clean, be mentally tough, bounce back, take the shots they're supposed to, and not worry about if it doesn't go in? I don't want to see guys passing up shots. I don't want to see guys afraid to shoot. Go do your thing. You didn't get this deep into the season with this kind of record unless you're pretty good. You're pretty good at what you do. And what they do is shoot threes. That's how they're built. Now, you can make an argument that if they're really going to do what they need to do in the playoffs, they got to make threes, certainly. Maybe they just need to be better defensively. And you say, they're already a pretty good defensive team. Yeah, well, if there's one reason you're really worried about the Lakers, I mean, there's LeBron, but it's because the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. Defensive efficiency, they're number one. The Jazz are four. So how about being a little better defensively? You've been pretty good defensively against Minnesota. Give up 105 points. You should win most nights. Certainly if you have Donovan, and they're obviously they're without Donovan tonight. So I'm I'm curious to see if they are mentally tough and just go do their thing tonight. Shake everything else off. I know the last two games sucked. But 15 and 6 over the last 21, that's pretty much who you are. And that takes into account. Good, bad, and mediocre basketball from the Jazz. So, go do your thing tonight. You ought to beat the Kings. When we come back, we got to talk more basketball. we got local and national guys coming up to finish the hour who can talk to you about the Jazz and where they sit and what they expect from them going forward with the playoffs bearing down on us. 11 games left in the regular season. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Time to hear from Shane Young. From Forbes, PK and I had him on during the show yesterday. He'll throw in some last nights and all that because of the game Monday night. But to get someone from outside the market who neither loves nor hates the Jazz, who uh, isn't busy rooting for the Jazz, to get kind of a neutral take from somebody who has said some complimentary things about the Jazz in the past, although the last few days have been rough, here's Shane Young and his take on the Jazz and the Western playoff race on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Shane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Ah, tons of angst. Back-to-back, back-to-back losses to the Timberwolves. The lead in the West is down to one game. The Suns are supposed to struggle on this road trip, and the Jazz are supposed to pull away by beating easy teams. It's not happening. Shane, what is going wrong? Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, you say about losing two straight to the Timberwolves, um, at least the Jazz don't have to see Minnesota in a couple months. <laughs> at least Minnesota's mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, so... It's actually kind of funny that that this stuff happens in the NBA, where the Jazz could have the number of a of a high profile contender. They could just you know stomp them down a couple of times, but then they struggle with some of this bottom level competition. And you know that that that's that tends to happen with contenders. They I'm not going to say they overlook the Timberwolves, but I think everyone understands that every player in the NBA is capable of catching fire or putting together a, a, a big run and 
and they just underestimated them for a bit. So, yeah, two straight games worth. I would be pretty upset as well. So whenever Donovan Mitchell returns to full health with the ankle injury, do you think that that solves the issues that they're having right now? I don't think necessarily it solves just flat out not making shots. I mean, that's kind of just like uh, I, I tend to I tend to favor like just unluckiness. I think that you can point a lot of the problems to last night. You know, they generate 15 corner threes. If you generate 15 corner threes in the NBA, you're a dynamic offense. I think the Jazz and Clippers are the two best offenses when it comes to creating those open looks, even though the Nets technically have the best offense in the NBA because of their firepower. And the Jazz made two of them. They shot two of 15 from the corners. And I'd be willing to guess, I think the player tracking data comes out soon, I would be willing to guess that a lot of those were wide open. And, and, you know, 14 of 41 from the non-corner threes, um, I'd be willing to bet a lot of those are wide open. So, you know, maybe you just chalk up last night to whatever. But I think – I think Donovan does help with their paint attacks and getting into the paint and and helping find the open man a little bit easier and quicker. Um, I think one thing that we've seen, at least I saw, I'm not sure about you guys, you can tell me how you feel about it, but I, I saw Rudy Gobert last night just not get a lot of touches that he normally would, even when he got switches with Rubio on him in the post. Gobert puts his hands straight up in the air Clearly, the tallest guy on the court, especially in that mismatch, and you know you could easily get the ball to him. It's just like you know you see Conley, Ingles, uh, and Bogdanovich, all these guys kind of dance around it and try try to get it to him late or not get the right passing angle. I think Donovan Mitchell is clearly behind Ingles as like maybe the best passer on the team. So I think he does help in that regard. Shane Young joining us, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports. So when you watch the Suns come in and you watch the Jazz struggling, are you thinking the top two teams, the top two contenders, or are your eyes still on the Clippers and on the Lakers? Oh, man, it's it's been tough because I think the last time we talked, Phoenix wasn't doing this hot. They were coming, but they weren't blistering hot yet. Um, I think right now you're looking at it. Um, I, I think the Jazz are going to be the number one seed, and the Suns are probably going to be number two. All the Suns have to do is beat the Clippers um, beat the Clippers on Wednesday, and that gives them another game advantage. And then they just have to close out without stinking up the joint. So they could they could lose a couple games. As long as they don't lose more than the Clippers, they'll be fine. But those, will be, those might be the top two seeds. Does it mean that they are the best teams in the conference? I'm not sure. I think the Jazz securing the number one seed helps a good deal because they – they would only have to see the Lakers in the second round, and I like it. I just don't. I just don't have a good feel about how a Lakers Jazz series would go because we've seen what zero total games of the full healthy rosters going at each other. Um, I think the one time the Jazz beat down on the Lakers, it was um, you know, uh, or I think a couple times the Jazz beat down on the Lakers, it was without AD and LeBron. So it, it, it's been kind of tough to gauge. Um, I, I, I kind of do think, though, that the Clippers would be happy with the way the seeding ends because they would they would get an easier opponent in the first round because they, they the Clippers have kind of handled the Blazers uh, so far this season. So if that's the matchup, then I think they would be happy with that. And then the Suns. Obviously, if you play the Suns, 
I think they view, I think they view Phoenix as less of a threat than Utah. Um, I, I do, you know, being around the Clippers this year, I do think they view Utah as a team that can give them a lot of problems in a potential West Final series because of how well Utah switches and how well uh, they are as an oiled machine defensively. It's you know they're they're extremely well coached and probably the best coached team in the NBA. So I guess all that to say. There are four teams still that I think could win the title in the West, and those are going to be the, the LA teams and Phoenix and Utah. It's really too hard to it, – it, right now it's too difficult to pick who would be the favorite, I think. Do you see any of these first-round opponents possible? We don't know who it is, obviously, but do you see any of them giving the Jazz some trouble in the first round? I would be terrified of Stephen Curry. Um, I, I'm, I'm just a big Steph fan. <laughs> And I think that he, if you give him an opportunity to go into Utah, if they got the eight seed, if the Warriors won the playing tournament and got the eight seed, if you give him an opportunity to go in Utah, where he's had some some success throughout his playoff career, that one series they played in 2017, I believe, um, I, I think I would be a little bit scared. I'd be a little bit nervous because all it takes is one or two games for Steph to get hot steal a road game, and then you're going back to the San Francisco. So it's like, man, I, that's a flamethrower I would not want to face. Um, if I was the Jazz, obviously you're kind of hoping for Memphis, uh, who I believe Utah has beat three times this year, right, all within a, a week span, <laughs> um, or San Antonio. I think San Antonio just doesn't have um, a lot of the defense that would be necessary to guard Utah's um Utah's creativity. Utah is one of the most creative offenses in the league this year. So I would be hoping for San Antonio and Memphis. I'd be really kind of nervous about Golden State. You think the uh, playing series is here to stay, that it is uh, minimizing, it'll never eliminate tanking, but maybe minimizing tanking and shutting guys down? You know, I... I'm I'm actually a fan of the playing situation, of the, the scenario where you you you're kind of right there. You do these uh, disincentivized tanking where you um, have these teams at the bottom that have maybe a three or four week span longer than they would normally in the season to look at the standings and say, "Hey, we can make a run." Because I know you guys remember last year or or the the few years before, there were teams that it would be February. And they would shut it down. They would just be like, oh, well, we're six games out. That's a lot to make up considering we're not that good of a team. Let's just rest everyone or let's, let's put our uh, top superstars on the shelf. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that that's not happening with, you know, say Zion Williamson. The Pelicans are not going to make it because they're just too far out and they, and they can't seem to string together a good win streak. So cross them out. But it's that type of team that you look at and say, I'm glad that this team and this player, this dynamic top 20 player in the NBA, is able to play longer into the season and deep high playoff minutes because they're they're trying to get that playoff spot. So I like the playing tournament. Uh, the one thing I, I'm kind of I want to get your opinion on that I've kind of wanted for a long time is I think that maybe I'm maybe I'm alone in this or maybe I'm on an island by myself, but. I think the top seeds in every conference, so like maybe the Jazz and technically Brooklyn right now, if you're going to have a playing tournament where they don't know their playoff opponent until 
a few days, a couple days before it starts. Because that's been, that's been a situation where like the Clippers and the Suns, they're going to know their playoff opponent quicker than the Jazz will. Gives a little bit less preparation time, uh, less time to really get some practice in for that particular opponent. If you're not going to know who you're playing, I think you should be able to pick your opponent from the pool of the eight seed, seven seed, and six seed maybe. I think those bottom three seeds, once the play-in tournament has been played, should be able to pick who they want to play, the, the Jazz. So, you know, I, I, I kind of just think that that's the fairest way to do it. If Utah is going to w- focus on the regular season, get the number one seed, and be the best team in the, in the league all season, there has to come some, like, re- reward for that. And I think the reward would be deciding who you want to play. I don't do think, think. Yeah, I don't think teams are going to want that. I don't think they're going to want that responsibility. It, it, it. You're basically, you're saying, "Hey, you're not good enough." So you're disrespecting somebody right from the get go and firing them up. I think. Uh, I think teams are going to complain about that and not, not want that. Yeah, I, I understand that point of view. Like, it, it, I, I don't think. Basically, what I'm saying, I don't think a lot of the owners that would have to vote for this to get it approved would even go for it. There might be just be a third of the league that, that likes the idea. But it's just something that's been floating around in NBA circles where there there just needs to be a higher incentive for or a higher reward, I should say, for getting that number one seed and going through this ridiculous grind of a season. How much does it concern you if a team is relying a lot on threes that when they get to the postseason that there might be an issue making those threes? It's definitely been a concern uh, for me, uh, particularly because I, I see I I tend to gravitate towards jump shooting teams, teams that unlock a lot of their offense from three, um, and that value higher efficiency shots. Um, I, I think if you the more threes you take, as long as they're not just run up the court, jack it up in someone's face, and shoot a contested shot. Uh, I think that as long as it's a good open, clean look that's derived from good paint attacks. I think driving into the paint is the first key that you have to have. And, you know, the two teams that I mentioned before that are the best at creating those shots, the Jazz and the Clippers, I think they do it the right way. I think if you – I'm not trying to dog on this team by any means because, you know, I've done that quite a bit in the past, but the team that you can look at and say maybe – or definitely a lot of these shots that they shoot from three are not good looks is the Houston teams and the James Harden era – particularly when Mike D'Antoni got there, I think that's not a good way to do it. But then you look at it and say, oh, well, those Rockets made it to the West Finals a couple times, twice since 2015, and they nearly maybe should have won in 2018. So if that's the bad way of doing it and it still worked out, I think you look at like the Golden State teams of the last few years, maybe San Antonio in 2014 that shot a lot of threes. They succeeded. They won the title. Uh, they did have a lot of superstar power on their teams, but hey, that's what you need in the NBA. I think it's going to come down to more so the star power. Donovan Mitchell, can he create his own offense in the mid-range at the rim whenever teams switch and put bigger bodies on him or like-sized like size bodies on him? Um, that's going to be more important to me than maybe Joe Eagles, Boyan Madonavich, Mike Conley knocking down their shots because if you've had a five- or six-month sample of these guys hitting the shots, I tend to just trust the, st- the statistics and I tend to trust the 
um, tendencies that say these guys are still going to make their shots, especially in a playoff environment, guys, that's not going to be like fully packed with fans, especially if Utah goes on the road. I know Utah does have a lot of fans, if I'm correct, but I know if they go on the road, other teams don't have necessarily a lot of fans, so I'm not very worried about their shots not going in. Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So do you think the Jazz come out of this funk? Do you give them much hope Friday night? Uh, probably shorthanded without Donovan Mitchell in Phoenix, or this is going to continue until Mitchell comes back and the one seed's going to be gone and just deal with it and adapt. I do give them a, a good or decent, a good chance in Phoenix just because the, the games that we've seen, or at least the last game we saw between the Jazz and Suns was really close, um, came down to the wire. You know, just some decisions here and there or some shots here and there fall. So I think uh, – I think the Jazz could definitely get it together and start, you know, maybe going on another five or six game win streak here. It's just, it's going to be tough until you get Donovan back um, to really lean on somebody in those moments. Uh, I know, you know, and we also have to point out, like, they would have won last night, maybe, like a 98% chance they would have won last night if Rudy Gobert just switches on that last play defensively. So, you know, that that's just like a, that's a mental error right there that you can kind of chalk up as, as a one-off, I think, because he's one of the best defensive players in the world. Um, so I'm not really concerned. I think they can get together here. But I, I think we just can't we can't deny that Phoenix is really good, and Phoenix has maybe the what, one of the five best players to go against Rudy Gobert and the Jazz's defense, and that's Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul, to me, is probably the third best point guard of all time, just the third best. You know, his, his greatness is not – going to be elevated because of the, the lack of accolades. But uh, he's supremely talented, and it, it, it's going to be – you're going to hear a lot of chatter if the Suns do go 3-0 against the Jazz this year and how, that, you know, that's just a series that no, that, that Utah doesn't want. But I, I kind of think that's overblown. I think, you know, a couple of those games you could go either way. And uh, I'm not – I still think the Jazz are probably right behind the Clippers in terms of playoff potency. Um, I, I, I kind of I'm not sold on the Suns yet um, in terms of being like this team that that could beat the Lakers, beat the Clippers, beat the Jazz. That'd be a really tough playoff grind for them, especially in their first year together. So um, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to Friday night. Shane, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Anytime, guys. There's Shane Young from Forbes. When we come back, Big T, Thurl Bailey. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time now to welcome in one of our favorite guests. We had him on at the end of the show yesterday, Big T Thurl Bailey. And Big T brings a unique take. Whether you moved to Salt Lake a week ago or you have lived here your whole life and you are older than you care to admit on the radio, Big T 
Now he calls, and for the last few years, he has been calling jazz games. Uh, but he's been on the pre-half and post-game going back to, I don't know, about 2005 or so. Uh, he was doing uh, pre-half and post with Pace and Thurl and I, or with, Thurl, or with Pace and I in the 2000s. And if you go back to the 90s, he was a veteran who finished career here after playing overseas. And if you go back to the 80s, he was a youngster who was drafted and played here and starred on some teams with Stockton and Malone in the early days. This is a guy with some serious perspective. Here's Big T with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mother's Day is May 9th. Minky Couture is here to help you out, get the best blanket ever. That is also the best gift ever for Mother's Day with Minky Couture. Sandy and her staff are doing it again. For our listeners, helping you get it right for Mother's Day, get 50% off now when you mention Zone 50 at a store near you or online at minkycouture.com. That's promo code Zone 50. That's Minky Couture for Mother's Day. Time to welcome in Big T, Thurl Bailey, jazz analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Thurl, good morning. Good morning. I'm just enjoying hearing you say couture, man. That just sounds nice rolling off your tongue. Say it again. <laughs> Minky Couture. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, we've been talking. Uh, we've been talking about yeah. the worst. Sequ- I'm here. All right. <laughs> we've been talking about the worst sequels you've ever seen because the Jazz <laughs> lost to Minnesota, right down to a uh, you know the big early lead, the problem shooting the ball in the middle of the game, falling way behind, rallying, taking a one point lead. Uh, a turnover on an attempted alley-oop to Gobert, and ultimately they lost. It was the same game. And I mentioned Mall Cop 2 and PK went nuts. Uh, terrible movie. I heard. Didn't, didn't, wasn't unfortunate enough to see it. I know, I know, they made a second Star Wars and it was great. But the fourth, fifth, and sixth Star Wars were terrible. Yeah, I got lost on Star Wars when, when they started going back. I mean, right, the whole prequel thing just did that. None, yeah, of, that, just, none of that worked. None of it. No. <laughs> I know, he's going to grow up to be Darth Vader. He's a terrible guy. I got it. Well, you know, obviously, you know, those two losses really sting for the Jazz. I mean, I, I've i been in situations myself as a player. I mean, I've played a lot of games in my career, and I'm not sure there's a situation I haven't seen or been in, been involved in, and I know how it feels to individually and then collectively come out and play a team that, you know, you you know that you're better than, uh, and record withstanding, you're in a position where teams are just gunning for you, whether they have something to, to play for or not, and. As we saw last night, there was some breakdowns. Jazz had an opportunity. I mean, obviously they had they lost that lead again, and they had an opportunity, and the effort was there to get back into it, and then just some breakdowns at the end. That really, when you think of where we are, where the Jazz are in this season, um, you know, those those kind of things just can't be happening. You've got to be able to not have those fourteen point quarters, and 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 be a lot more consistent. So. Yeah, you are uh, very calm at all times, you know, and I've seen that uh, thing with NC State, and I think it was Sidney Green saying how he was going to take it to the guy with the goggles. And I know you weren't wearing goggles then, but for entertainment purposes, just stay with me here. <laughs> and, you know, you didn't say anything, and and we, we went through that. I've seen it multiple times. But I got to know, you know, inside you were burning, and your way of expressing it publicly 
was not like mine to scream and yell, and you were a calm dude, and you still are. Uh, but what do you think these guys are thinking internally now? Because it seems like the whole world, as far as the basketball world goes, are doubting these guys. Well, you can't discount the body of work. I mean, the Jazz are still in a great position, right? And this is the NBA. There's some really good teams out there. The West is obviously going to be tough, and um, you still have games to play. And so when you're in a situation like that, I know with me internally, I was, you know, I, I couldn't be the same player, the same person when I was out there on the court. You know, I had to take that nice guy, um, however you described it, and you know, and and play, you know, differently, and and go out and be physical, and go out and, and play my game, and you know, I don't. We can go out to dinner after the game, but right now it's all business. So I think as an athlete, players kind of internalize it differently, but collectively is really going to be the key. You talk about the breakdowns you have. Obviously, I think the Jazz will watch the film, and uh, you heard Rudy last night about that defensive mistake uh he owned it and that's i think that's the first part of it is owning it and and really knowing these guys and 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 what we've seen to this point right i mean two games don't make a season i mean you're going to look back these two games hurt for sure but i think we've seen the jazz time and time again uh, bounce back from defeats you know albeit uh, these two from a team at the bottom of the heap but um yeah, I think I think we know these guys well enough to know that you know they love to play and they love to compete and they love to figure things out. That's the way. That's the way Quinn coaches. What is it we have to do? And it hasn't happened the last two games, but you know, I don't know if we ought to be saying, "Well, things are falling apart just because we lost to an NBA team with nothing to lose and and uh, you know and came out and beat the Jazz two games in a row." PK and I have been entertained all year by one stupid little thing. But I mean, you know us, so you know how we are. So you're not surprised by that. Um, <laughs> Matt was Matt Harper was calling the game, and uh, he was trying to say law of averages, and he said law of numbers. And we do enough live radio and have said enough dumb stuff that we can totally identify with that. You know, your vocabulary it just the word eludes you in the moment, right? But for whatever reason, I li- and I'm not I'm not I'm not making this up. I love law of numbers. I now use it just to crack PK up whenever possible. I love to work it in. And and, and the law of numbers, if you go big picture, you said body of work, right? The Jazz are winning about three-quarters of their games this year. So they had a nine-game win streak, and they've now gone six and six in their last 12. Now, I don't want to get too wound up on two games. Six and six is a bigger chunk, and I got to say it's concerning because you want them improving and playing their best ball. And clearly, at six and six, you're not. But if I go back a little more, I hit that nine game win streak, and now they're 15 and six. So, really, over a big period of time, I think the message Quinn has to get is this is who you are. You're not better than 15 and six, and you will mess up games since we're on the radio. You will mess up games <laughs> to get back to basically who you've been in this body of work. So, you're not just the team that won nine in a row because you're not really that good. But you're not as bad as you've shown us stinking up these last two games, and you've stunk them up horribly. You know, that 15-6, and six, that's really who you are over the course of a season. That's the win pace you've been at since Christmas. So now, 
can they shake it off? Everybody screws up. Everybody loses. You're old enough to remember faux, faux, faux. You know which year and which playoff series, right? And they didn't yeah. do it. They went 4-5-4. Four, four. Even those Sixers messed up a game, and Moses Malone wasn't right. But they shook off the one loss and annihilated everybody. So do you think the Jazz have the mental toughness to just shake this off and start win going forward? Because if you do, then this stuff never matters. It just doesn't matter. Well, what's their other choice? I mean, yeah, I mean To go yeah. lose to Sacramento and make a bunch more mistakes and be afraid to shoot three-pointers in the third quarter because they've missed a bunch. That's what I don't want to see again. Yeah, and, and that, I think that was really out of character for them. You know, I think uh, to see one guy do it, maybe you get it. But to see several guys question what I believe they're really good at, um, and I get, I get it. If it's not working, you need to try something else. I and mean, I thought George Yang just came in and and was that guy who said, "Look, this is <laughs> this is what we need. This is what I'm good at, and I'm not going to change." So I don't think that was the character of the team that we've been seeing, win or lose. Um, and you talk about the law of numbers. Uh, you know, this game has gotten so much in analytics, and I, I know they have their place. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a team that has had an incredible season, including, you know, everything, right? I mean, being a great team means that you figure out how to get through the the difficult times because you're going to find them, right? There's just going to be those given nights when you and PK have a bad broadcast, right? I mean, you know, it just just happens. Or, you know, me and a a limo or me and – me and Bowler screw up. So I think this Jazz team, I think we've really seen who they are. And I think the law of numbers at the time, like, you know, when they're going on these win streaks, is that really the Jazz or is this a fluke? No, I, I think it's really them. I mean, I think the philosophy works. Uh, it's it's a high-risk philosophy sometimes because the three is not going to fall. But that's when your defense you know, really has to kind of equalize things. But – yeah, I agree. I, mean, I, I agree that this team has to, or Quinn has to look at this team and say, say, look where we are, look what we've accomplished. We've got a lot of work to do to, you know, to stay in that top spot or to, to have that top spot, to have an opportunity to, to, to continue to move on and win this championship. But, yeah, I, I, I think we, we've seen the, we saw the worst of the Jazz in these last two games. So I'm watching the game, the second game, and I'm watching Jordan Clarkson take a bunch of shots and missing. And I'm thinking to myself, pass the ball. Well, I look at the box score; he's got eight assists. And and then I was talking about how uh, I got up uh, early the next morning, and I'm reflecting upon it. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to talk about at work today? And I'm thinking, I, I've sort of changed my mind. I'm actually, I have changed my mind. I'm thinking, Jordan, by all means, man, keep firing away because that's what this team uh, needs, and that's how you help get this team to where it is and number one in the standings and all that stuff. So I'm totally fine with it. My only criticism is I don't want to see bad body language. you know. And I reflect back on uh, Gordon Hayward. I thought he had some bad body language sometimes. Now, he wasn't with a good team at the time, so maybe that uh, attributed to it. But if you miss 10 in a row, I, I want you to be cocky. I want you to keep firing away. And think that uh, don't show any weakness in your in your appearance in your body language. What do you say to that? Well, I, I think 
sometimes it's hard not to show frustration at something that you know you're you've been really good at. Um, and you know Jordan Clarkson has had his moments, and I, I kind of had this discussion through social media with a guy who's talked about, you know, Jordan needs to stop taking those shots. Um, he's not the same Jordan Clarkson as he was first half of the season. And I'm thinking, well, the same, the same Jordan Clarkson you're talking about um, at the beginning of the season, you're criticizing him now for taking the same shots but missing him, right? So my point was, Jordan Clarkson has the ability and the freedom to really, um, to really put his mark on a game. Now, Jordan, Jordan doesn't get enough credit for the for the work he does on the other end of the court. Um, but his job, and I can relate to this as a six man. I mean, you go back and look at some of my games. You know, when I I was struggling, one for eleven or two for twelve. You know, I I definitely wasn't going to stop shooting. I wasn't going to try to go outside myself and step out in the three-point line because that just wasn't my game. But Quinn has given J.C. the freedom to go out and play a total game and offensively to be himself. Um, so, you know, you can't cheer for him when he's rolling and, and getting those potential six-man accolades, and then when he's struggling, say, stop shooting. That's, that's ludicrous. Um, but you're right. I mean, you've got to be able to, uh, you know, to personally go go through those things without getting frustrated, you know, outwardly because it, I think it just kind of exacerbates the problem. But every athlete goes through it. I mean, we've seen Rudy pick up a few texts because he gets a little emotional with the refs, and um, but he's I think he's getting better at it. But each each player I think uh, has the support of all the other guys. I think that's what makes this team special as well. Uh, and hopefully, you know, if we get Donovan back soon, I think this team will start uh, clicking on those cylinders again. They have to. They have no other choice. Big T Thurl Bailey joining us, and I am interested in your take on the Suns. Uh, you know, as Chris Paul plays great late in his career, it seems like a couple things happen here, Thurl. One, you know, mentally you get so much better. All the scars, all the failures, all the times you didn't break through when you were – 25, 26, 27, and you're 33, 34, 35, you, you do amazing stuff, and yet you constantly hear the window is closing because you never know when someone's productivity is just going to fall off a cliff, especially if you're one of the smaller guys, right? And it happens yeah. to big guys, but especially when you're one of the smaller guys. So are you surprised when you see the stuff he's pulled off this year? Are you surprised at how good the Suns are? Do you trust him to stay healthy in the playoffs because he's had a lot of postseason injuries? Big picture, what do you think about the Suns and Chris Paul? Well, I, I knew that the Suns would be better with the addition of Chris Paul, and, and he was going to elevate Booker's game as well. But, you know, I say this about Mike Conley as well. I know we're talking Chris Paul now, but I think they're kind of in that same category is that, you know, at some point your physical skills are going to start waning. Whether you were, you know, fast or could jump high, those things are going to dial down, dial down. But if you can grasp the, you know, the IQ part, right, the part where you're taking your time and everybody else is, you know, running around, and you're finding your space. Chris Paul, to me, is is probably 
still one of the best mid-range players that I've ever seen, especially being that size and being able to get his shot off when he wants on anybody he wants. He's kind of a slower version of a Steph Curry in that area. But, um, yeah, I mean, you saw what he did against the Knicks, very clutch player. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of knocks on him, right, on teams that he's been on. But I think he's proven. And, heck, he's making $41 million, so he's got to <laughs> go out and continue to prove his worth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he has really been that guy, that glue. And part of that is being, a, being able to accept that you may be not the man, but you kind of are, right? I mean, Booker is, is kind of that, that all-star for that team, but Chris Paul is okay with it, and I think that's part of it. I'm okay with, with you know, making you better and you getting the limelight, and I'll get it every once in a while, like against the Knicks last night, but I think he's at the point of his career now where you know, he really wants to win, get to that next level, and he'll do whatever it takes. Do you or do the Jazz, either of you, the Jazz and you, do you care who they play in the postseason? Um, I didn't really care. I mean, we it was it was discussed, right? Um, it was discussed about matchups, and and you look throughout the course of the season and see who you've matched up with, and not necessarily beat all the time, but. See who who you've matched up with and and who gives you trouble, but I don't think there's an outright uh, conscious thinking of no, I don't want to play those guys. Uh, but I didn't really care. I don't really think the Jazz care. I mean, I I think knowing what I know about Quinn, it really is about getting the very best position you can, right, and getting home court advantage and getting those things that. That, that assist you in winning. But I'm not sure the Jazz really care. I mean, we can, we can go through the list and say, ah, I don't know if we want to meet those guys right now. The Lakers are dropping, and you know we might get them early. Um, but, yeah, that's a good question, PK. I, I, don't, I don't know where the Jazz stand on that, but I'm going to lean on the side of they don't, they don't really care who it is. They just want to be in the best position when the time comes. Don't you believe there's five really good teams in the West, and you don't know? Obviously, one of them is going to get knocked out before the first round. The Lakers will probably play the Nuggets, and one of one of the good teams in my mind will get knocked out. And then in the second round, anything can happen, regardless of who the favorites are. Anything yeah. can happen. Yeah, you're right. And you know, under the circumstances with the play-in games and and those kind of things, the teams are. I mean, look at what Steph's doing with the Warriors right now. I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty good feat right now to, to step in and, you know, play those games, uh, play a, a series against that team. Um, if they come out of, you know, the playing game. So you're right. I mean, anything can happen. I think we've seen it. Uh, I think we've, we've seen enough of some of the top teams going in and, and, um, you know, starting out really good, beginning of the playoffs and then like similar to what the jazz did um and also another and similar to what denver did in the bubble just uh being a totally different team look what the brooklyn nets are doing i mean they, they've got some great players on that team but um you know they're 
they're looking at winning a championship. That's what they. That's why they put that team together. And so, you're right. I mean, anything can happen. And I think that's why the Jazz are really. It's really important for them to get back on that winning streak in the way we've seen them, and also, more importantly, guys get healthy. So you had a birthday earlier this month. Is life better at sixty? Life is great at sixty, man. I mean, I, you know, fifty was a was a big number, but sixty, you're like cruising, right? I mean, you're like on your Harley going up in the canyon and just just cruising and taking in the sights and enjoying your family and sitting back and and enjoying what you do work wise and working with great people. So yeah, sixty's good. Sixty's a good number because. You know, um, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and do you really think it's all downhill? Or do no. you feel like you're going to – I feel like you're more on the backstretch at Daytona. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. You Analogy. are just dropping the hammer. You get to do what you want, largely, right? Your kids yep. are, are mostly grown and gone? Yep. Or completely grown and gone? No, he's still got one. They're mostly. Mostly. Got one more. Right, you got one more. Okay. Yeah, so I think you got more free time than you had. You're smarter because uh, just like NBA teams and NBA players, you've learned lessons that have come before, right? You're not you're not repeating the mistakes. Times are yeah. good. You got a better idea, big picture, where things are going. Wait, how old are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm a few years younger than you. What are you talking about? I'm not that much younger than you, but I'm younger than you. But I'm not that much younger than you. <laughs> I'm yeah, not, it's, it's, I'm not it's 60, good, but I can see it from where I'm standing. You can see it, right? <laughs> yeah, Through I can my see eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Thurl. Man, you dropped multiple law of numbers and then a through my eyes. Well played. Through my eyes. <laughs> through my eyes. Oh, guys. <laughs> see, you wouldn't have pulled this off at 40. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Oh. All right, Big T. We'll let you go. It was good having you on. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again, and we'll see more of you as the uh, as we get closer to the playoffs. Here, the countdown is on. We're not to single digits left in the regular seasons, but we're getting there. Eleven games left now. That's right. Do you remember when we used to count them down, baby? Yep. Yep. Count them down. Nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, have a oh good before one. we go, before Uh-oh. we go. Oh, this is real important, and I feel bad I didn't bring it up till now. Uh, Dodger dogs are no longer going to be. Uh, Farmer John Dodger Dogs. They've had a party in the ways over money, as it turns out, at Dodger Stadium. Which, if you're in Southern California, everybody, they, they sell like three million Dodger Dogs a year. PK was talking about how when he goes to games, he can't believe the first time I went to a game that I didn't have a Dodger Dog till like the third inning. He said, you should have one before the game, and then you should have one in the second, in the fourth, in the sixth, in the eighth. I mean, how many hot dogs... How many hot dogs could one person eat in one game? Go for the record. Go for the record, DJ. Go for the record. I've seen you, baby. Was it six or eight you threw down on the set? Uh, I think it was eight. <laughs> oh, we had it, what was the bet? Was the bet that it was uh, 10 or 12? It was a spontaneous thing. Pace and Thurl and I were doing jazz pre-half and post back in the D-Will era. And it was a road game, and there was a show or a concert or some reason there was something going on, and the concessions was open. And somehow it came up about you know my appetite and how many I could eat, and suddenly it was on. It was on, man, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. And it got preempted because the game was late. They must have been on the West Coast, and none of us took into account the concession stand was going to close. 
And all yeah. of a sudden it was over. They just rolled it. And I was at like eight. But I can tell you, PK, there's a lot of sodium in those things. And then you drink a lot of water and you're real uncomfortable. And it's just yeah, like, we, wait we, a minute. Am I like 18 and a freshman in college? How stupid am I? Yeah, I'm uh, glad we didn't get to see the post game on that. <laughs> 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 oh, man, that was a good Woo! time. Yeah, right? Yeah, and th- and 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 the, and the thing is, you were you were part of the problem. But man, Pace, he was just egging me on some, and I was just totally all in on it. It's stupid, and yet entertaining. Yeah. All these years later, very entertaining. I'd all like right, to see it again. <laughs> Thanks, Big T. <laughs> all right, guys, appreciate you. There's Big T. Throw Bailey. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Halliburton gets off a long two, misses. Rebound Gobert, outlet to Odie, minute 15 left, finds Conley, pull up three in transition, pow, 27-25, Yang right corner three on an over rotation by Harrison Barnes, and George hits it, make him pay, left side Bogdanovich, they're tight on the shooters, Bogdanovich will drive, kick it to Ingles, right corner three on a tough catch is good, Donovan on the run, Conley, open three on a no look pass, got it, ball game, Utah Jazz are back in action tonight in Sacramento to face the Kings. Jazz trying to bounce back from back-to-back losses to the Wolves. Sacramento's won three out of five, swept two games from the Mavericks, split a couple with the Timberwolves. Also had a loss to the Warriors worked in there. Game's going to tip off tonight at 8 o'clock. PK, you think uh, Rudy Gobert? You 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 identified early on his competitive nature after the end of that game. I don't know what else we see tonight, but we see best Gobert. We see fired up Rudy. Okay, sure, yeah. I mean, we pretty much see that all the time, though. I don't know that it'll be any different. I don't know that he lacks effort from game to game. Doesn't have that many more gears to go to. Issue. I don't think so, but you know, I think he pretty much gives you everything he's got. Uh, and you're going to need some more. Uh, the backcourt, Conley and Mitchell, are going to be out. But at the same time, uh, Barnes and Fox are going to be out for Sacramento. Game tips off tonight at 8 o'clock. Pre-game show at 7 o'clock here on The Zone. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Drives and kicks left corner to Baisley. Covered up by Jalen Brown. Swung right ring to Dort open. Cranks a three and knocks it down. Cha-ching a Thunder Monday ball. Luke Gensdort never cowers from the moment. Giannis will pick it off at midcourt. Portis will grab it. Portis straight line to the rim. Layup no good. Giannis caught it. Slammed it with a left hand. Simons now drives. Fades away from 13. Missed the bank shot. Cantor tips it back out to Dame. Head fake. Steps to the side. Three-pointer. Yes. Luca up the left side with a screen from Cauley Stein from the left sideline for three. He hits again. 18 and a quarter for Doncic. 34 in the game. Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic use a 28 to nothing run to post a 30-point win over the Golden State Warriors. 133-103. The Mavericks blow that thing wide open. Luka Doncic finishes with 39 points and six rebounds and eight assists. 
to turn it over seven times, but they roll. They get the win. Steph Curry did his thing. He hit five of his nine three-pointers. He had 27 points, but, man, the Mavericks shot it really well, PK. 51% from three, 52% from the floor. They were scoring it. Yeah, you shoot like that, you're going to beat anybody, anytime, in this league. It's as simple as that. The Portland Trailblazers beat the Indiana Pacers 133-112. to Damian Lillard going for 23 points. McCollum had 20. The big news was, coming off the bench, the Blazers get a huge lift from Anthony Simons, who went for 27 in that one, and Portland picks up the win. A potential opening round opponent for the Jazz. Enos played well, man. He only got like 15 minutes. He got 14 boards or something like that. He played his, his stats per minute were simply sensational. 12 points, 14 boards, nine of them offensive. Look out. Head scratching. Head scratcher of the night, Oklahoma City beat Boston. Celtics, what is your problem? Just when you get it together, it falls well, apart. Jason Tatum. Yeah. Tatum didn't play. Sure, but the Thunder. Great. Celtics two games over 500 after that loss, 119-115. He gave you an extra $5.2 million lying around. Would you spend it on a rookie card? LeBron James rookie card? Sold privately for $5.2 million. Most expensive. I don't think you have to have an extra 5.2. You have to have like an extra. 100 million. And you spend 5.2. Yeah, right. (laughs) You spend 5.2. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of money. Previous record was 4.6 million for a Luka Doncic. Logoman RPA, which sold in March. DJ PK. Hashtag NFL. Would it surprise you if you're the 49ers pick? I'll say it's half and half. It was surprising, but maybe it was definitely surprising because, you know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of great quarterbacks in that draft. And I think the first four picks will be quarterbacks. That's Kyle Pitts, Florida tight end, receiver extraordinaire, expecting the top four picks to be quarterbacks. So <laughs> run on QBs. He could go as high as three. Your man, that's your guy. Oh man, I watched him play for the Gators this year. He was so impressive. Was did it? you really? I, oh, Jack, he was, did you have any idea on that? <laughs> none whatsoever. <laughs> so impressive. He is my guy. He's a really good. But player. He, and Penny, he and Penny Sewell look like they're going to slip, despite the fact they're supposed to be these dominant players at their positions. Oh, we got a question for the NFL guy coming up. Luke Easterling will join us, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. That's at 8.05. Antonio Brown coming back to Tampa Bay, signed for a year, so he's there. Uh, Baltimore Ravens coach John Harbaugh said to guarantee it about the franchise exercising a fifth-year option on quarterback Lamar Jackson. He'll be guaranteed $23.1 million in 2022. It's a significant raise from his $1.7 million salary this season. He's got the fifth highest fifth-year option in the league. And John Harbaugh not worried about who's going to be alive on Sunday. That's just that's a West Coast thing, not an East Coast thing. Everybody in the East Coast is feeling confident. I don't know that they really had any other chance or choice, though. They did not. I think if... Whoever it is who's in charge of that franchise, they are going to use that option on Lamar Jackson. 
He can, if he can get you to 10 wins and he can get you to the playoffs, we can debate what they're going to do in the playoffs later. If you have a guy who can win 10 games to get you to the playoffs, you're going to get his option and you're going to guarantee it. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, right on track, maybe a little ahead of schedule. That's the quote. He's returning from the compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle. Coach Mike McCarthy, really confident, saying I was very impressed with his progress, just coming off the type of injury, his footwork. He's doing all the normal movements that you would look to do in quarterback school format this time of year. So. Yeah, that's great news then. Thumbs up on Dak Prescott and his return. because He's yeah. a fun player to watch, and they're they're an interesting team, good team, maybe not a great team, but I would think they'd at least be a good team if they have him back. I agree. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. The SEC will not require fully vaccinated individuals who are asymptomatic to participate in the league's surveillance testing program, according to an updated version of the COVID-19 protocols. As long as they have approval from their local health authority, fully vaccinated SEC staff and players also will no longer have to quarantine following an exposure to someone with COVID-19. I expect we're going to see more of this, PK, because it sounds like most of the conferences, most of the leagues, they want people to get the vaccinations. They don't want to demand it or order it, but they want them. So this is the carrot. Get the vaccination and a lot of the hoops you have to jump through, you don't have to jump through anymore. Okay, you keep me abreast of that. NCAA president. But I did hear your. Hold on, hold on. I did hear your people say that yesterday. If you're in a crowd, you got to wear a mask outside. Yeah. But if you're just outside by yourself, you don't. Whew! Man, thank goodness they ordered me. I can do that now. Yeah, I think that was already happening. That, walking around downtown Salt Lake. <laughs> I'm glad to see that's catching up with what everyone had pretty much figured out on their own. No one within 50 yeah, like feet of me. Last year. Yeah. NCAA president Mark Emmert has received a contract extension through 2025. The Association's Board of Governors announced yesterday in a release that buried the news at the bottom of the article. Emmert has served as NCAA president since 2010. He was under contract through uh, 2023, so a couple more years for him running the show. DJ and Man, What does he do? Oh, what does, what he, does wait, he do? Wait, what does he do, though? He yeah. supervises the basketball tournament. And he gets yelled seems, at. He does get yelled at. That's his thing. And he also seems to uh, help them drag their feet on the uh, national uh, or the uh, NIL, the um, name, image, and likeness we were talking about yesterday. Doesn't seem to be sprinting towards that. I saw something yesterday. It's expected to be implemented this summer. Well, that was the release that this news came in. Right. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swing and a fly ball to deep left field. Back of the warning track at the wall. Touch of all. Kelly goes yard again. And he hits it in the air. Deep right field. Back it goes. Another one. Over and out of here. Back to back with McMahon. C.J. Crone with his fourth of the season. Rip down the right field line and it's going all the way to the wall. Castellanos, he is on his horse. Winker scores. Here comes the big fella and it's 6-5 Reds. Votto delivers. Swing it and drive. Get up, ball. Get out of here. How about a three-homer night for Vladdy? There's some highlights from around Major League Baseball. The Reds beat the Dodgers 6-5. That's two in a row for the Reds in that series. The Dodgers have lost three in a row and five out of six now. And they're back down to a more normal 
625 winning percentage, PK. It's just kind of a 100-win pace now. They're cooling off at 15-9. and nine. Uh, Yeah, it's a big deal, man. Bullpen's sucking. Got guys out of the lineup. Not the dominant self you would expect. The other teams at the top of the standings, uh, the Giants got beat by the Rockies in 10 innings, uh, 7-5. You heard the uh, C.J. Crone home run as part of that right there. So the, the Giants and Dodgers tied for the top spot in the West at 15-9. The Diamondbacks beat the Padres for all the hype around San Diego. They have 25 games in. They are one game over 500 after your Dodgers. Merrill Kelly. That'd be my Diamondbacks. Your Diamondbacks, sorry. Your Diamondbacks beating the uh, Padres and Merrill Kelly with a strong outing to get that done. Merrill Kelly's wife graduated from the same high school that I did. Sweet. (laughs) He's a local kid, and I heard him on an interview, and he married a local gal. Uh, uh, Kelly went to ASU. And it's Carson Kelly. I want you to remember him. He's the peace one of the pieces, the key piece that the D-backs got uh, a couple years back when they traded Goldschmidt to the Cardinals. He's a catcher. So that'll be the payoff for that, hopefully. Oh uh, Yeah, they got two two main pieces, uh, him and a, and a pitcher named Luke Weaver, who's uh, showed signs, but not there. We're so far, Kelly here, and it's early, obviously, is having a little bit of a breakout season as a catcher. And you you better get some pieces back if you're going to trade the greatest diamond back of his generation <laughs> in, in Paul Goldschmidt. Give me something. I need something. Yeah, you've got to. You've got to get some You've got to get some high-level players or else that you're going to lose your job if you don't. If you may, may go ahead and you made the trade, obviously, and that's fine, but... You better get some pieces back, and it looks like this Kelly kid behind the plate is putting it together. Big kid with a lot of power. Looks like he's coming into his own this season. Vlad Guerrero Jr., three home runs, got himself started with a grand slam in the third and then added a solo shot in the fifth and another solo shot in the seventh inning. And uh, three homers for him. That's six ribbies. Big game. Jays beat the Nationals. Yeah, you know, he lost 40 pounds in the offseason because he was a rotund kid, for especially for being as young as he is. And uh, I think that uh, loss, weight loss really is going to help him. And obviously his father played there. And they've got two other guys, Bichette and uh, who's the second baseman who played? Kevin uh, Biggio. Biggio, yeah. Those uh, sons of uh, major leaguers. And two of the three are in the Hall of Fame, Biggio and Guerrero. Bichette, uh, Dante did not make it, but the other two did. So, sort of fun to watch the second generation of that. There's three of them, three of their starters. Major League Baseball would consider expansion fees in the range of $2.2 billion for new franchises. Although, Commissioner Rob Manfred adds, there are no current plans to add teams. Valuations, uh, right now, the average Major League Baseball franchise valued at $2.2 billion. The Yankees, the most expensive club, as you would expect, at $6.75 billion. Wow. That's a lot man. of cash, man. Yeah, it uh, really is. As part of that, and of course, it, it, expansion is expected. Uh, they might be trying to solve stadium issues for a couple teams uh, before they do that. Oakland. Tampa Bay, use those expansion cities as leverage, but Vegas' name keeps coming up, PK. Suddenly the hot city. Literally. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> need a retractable dome, right? <laughs> if the D-backs can get one, Vegas needs one if they're going to have Major League Baseball. Well, there's plenty of them that have them now, but, uh, yeah, obviously they would need that. There's no question they would right. need that because it's very hot in the summer. Yeah. Teams in the north have a two. Seattle's got one. Milwaukee's got one. So, Manfred also revealed 70% of Major League Baseball players, on-field staff, and support personnel have been fully or partially vaccinated for COVID. And he says when it gets to 85%, there's 70 now, it gets to 85% of Tier 1 personnel, then they're going to relax restrictions. So, again, kind of like the SEC. There's, there's the carrot. Hurry up and get vaccinated. And then the minor league note... The Pioneer League. You ready for a home run derby instead of extra innings? Save some of those arms. Five pitches. See who cranks it out of the park. Well, they could do whatever they want there. I mean, that's sort of like the soccer thing. But uh, in minor leagues, it doesn't really matter who wins and loses at that point. You're playing for development. Uh, Whereas I I would just pitch a fit if they did anything close to that in the big leagues. I mean, I can barely deal with starting the runner on second base. So... Uh, the minor leagues, yeah, you, you can have guys stand on their head for all I care at that point. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, 830. Luke Easterling, editing, editor of the Draft Wire talk NBA or NFL draft at uh, 8 o'clock right here on 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. The question of the day coming up next. Stay with us. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup of Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It is definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Question of the day The Utah Jazz are playing the Kings tonight. What chance do they have to pick up a W without Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley? They're both out. What are the odds they end this losing streak? Jacobson. 100%. Really? 100%. Yeah. Or 100%. Jacob says, I think we're going for the two seed, and Scott says, not sure we hold on to it either. They're a little less than 100% right now, PK. Pump them up. You're going against the grain here, which you do love to do. No, I'm not. Pump I'm them up. The, the, if the grain is the right grain, then color me against the grain. <laughs> I mean, the Kings are going to be without two starters themselves. So that washes each other out. It's it's like uh, it's the same thing that happened in Los Angeles uh, a couple Saturdays ago. Was it was Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday, Saturday yeah. afternoon ball game. Yep. Both teams were way shorthanded. Right. So do you like the guys that are available more than the guys that are available for Sacramento? I do. 
That one went OT, and the shorthanded Kings aren't as good as the shorthanded Lakers. Ergo, the Jazz will prevail. You got a little more confidence well, in they, they, they have better players. That's what it boils down to. And I read a stat. You know what's amazing? Nope. I saw it somewhere out there that uh, you would, you were a Kings guy back there because you uh, you have some history. You worked in the market. I did. Uh, somebody put out that uh, Rick Adelman finished above 500 every year he coached, which was, I think, eight years. Uh-huh. And then there's been no other Kings coach in Sacramento who's been above 500. <laughs> I didn't wow. know that stat, but it makes sense to me, given the way it has gone. I mean, they've gone through so many yeah, guys, we couldn't list them all. Dumb luck, you'd think. Even the Suns, who've been out of the playoffs for 11 years, had one coach finish over 500. It doesn't seem that just the, the way the system is built, it allows you to be mediocre. I mean, you've got to really suck to not be mediocre at some point in a 20-year period. I'm not talking about great. I'm just talking about being average. I mean, you ought to be able to fall into enough picks, even if you're the worst whoever the GMs. I'm sure there's multiple GMs, and all, you know, we know there's multiple owners, that they ought to be able to get some guys right just out of dumb luck. You know what I mean? For, for the draft. You would think, yes. But they that, haven't been able to do it. With that high <laughs> pick, you would accidentally hit on one out of every three or four players. Yeah, just yeah, accidentally. Right. Just playing the law of numbers that you'd uh, be able to, to do that. Uh, but yet they've been so bad for so long. It's just shockingly inept. Rick Adelman, stretch. Rick Adelman was the head coach in the 2005-06 season. They went 44-38. and 38. They got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. They played the Spurs when the Spurs were really good, so that wasn't surprising. Okay, yeah, 44-38, and 38, that's decent. Right, and that's 06. So we are now in the 15th NBA season yeah. since then. And the best year was 39 and 43 two years ago. That hasn't been a single winning season. And there's a, uh, there's a long stretch of 20 win seasons, 20, 24, 22, 28, that kind of thing. That's good if you're in college. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's six straight years in that range. So, yeah, it's been. It's been if you're brutal. at Sacramento State or Davis down the road, okay, nice. fine. We're good with that. But. Not the NBA franchise. So I look at the rosters, uh, and, and I wonder. I don't know this. I have no knowledge of this. I wonder if the Jazz know, hey, we're going up against Sacramento. They're missing two of their better players. I mean, and I that's why, much that's so why Con- that Fox is yeah. their best player. That's why Conley's out. I, I don't know that. I don't know that at all. But it wouldn't surprise you. Uh, but if they sort of used a little logic there. Uh, an opportunity to sit him and get it, and he still should be able to get this game. Now, if the if the Kings had all their guys, that's a different story. But Fox is out for protocols, and they sent out the thing last night. Uh, I told you I'm on that list, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I forget what they said about uh, Harrison Barnes. I can look it up here. Uh, Barnes uh, left abductor tightness. So, and Marvin Bagley's, but he's. He's the guy who is really going to go down as the bust in the draft so far. He's been injured just about virtually all three years he's been in the league because DeAndre Ayton went number one, Bagley went two, Doncic goes three. Uh, At least with Ayton, he's giving you something. It's sort of like this is like a poor man's uh, Jordan and uh, Akeem. 
uh, in that. I mean, I'm not equating Aiden to Akeem, so that's why I said poor man's, and I'm not equating Doncic to Jordan. But when they that draft, what was it, 83, 84, whenever that was, uh, when the, it went down. And so Sam Bowie is becoming the Marvin Bag. Marvin Bagley is becoming the Sam Bowie because he's not giving you anything. At least Aiton's giving you something. Now, he's not giving you to the level that Akeem gave you, obviously. I'm not saying that by any stretch. So I don't want to make, make sure that people understand that. But with that in mind, the Kings are not good, and now they're watered down. So I would think that the Jazz would be able to get this. I mean, I could be wrong, obviously, because I would have thought they would have at least minimum split with uh, Minnesota. And they didn't. They lost them both. Well, Alema, as Ben says, Alema would call it a 50-50 game, but uh, thanks for that comedy, Ben. Mark, however, says zero, and Brian says none. People just getting down oh, on the Jazz. No. Come on now. I don't, it, it seems I don't like they realize what Sacramento has out. Right. It seems like the number would be 70 or 80, because both teams are going to ask guys to do stuff they don't normally do, and there's nothing about that that's a lock. But, to your point, the Jazz have the more talented roster. And in the NBA, most nights, that's what decides who wins. And there are exceptions, and I think we just saw a couple of the exceptions, but you also don't get a steady stream of exceptions. Bank on the talent. Yeah, and Joe's had a couple of bad shooting games, and so he's proven to be an effective shooter. Clarkson, same thing. Clarkson's been a little more uh, inconsistent, shooting only 32% from the field. Overall, not just from three, but only, I think, 32% this month is what I saw. ESPN breaks that stuff down by months, Mm -hmm. and uh, I looked at it uh, yesterday when we were talking, and I think that's what the figure was, uh, or at least in the losses, that's what he's shooting. So uh, you'd think he's going to break out of it at some point. I assume they would slide him into the starting lineup, and so he would be good to go there, uh, and... Bogey's been shooting the ball well, uh, so that's what I'm thinking. But you know, you never know in this league here. I mean, there's as we've said a million times, everybody's got decent players. At least they got one or two of them anyway. Sacramento with the, these guys out, uh, you know, your your boy from the Bahamas, Buddy Heald, could have a big game. Him and DeAndre Ayton, both from the Bahamas. Well, he's a guy you'd expect to get a lot of shots. So if he gets rolling, look out. Look out. But, wow, have you ever said that? If Buddy Heald gets rolling, look, look out. Look out. Who has said that? I, I, would, I would imagine his high school coach in the Bahamas. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That'd probably be about it. <laughs> if Buddy Heald gets going, look out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Luke Walton will be saying tonight. Please let Buddy get going. Uh, you think Quintessons, guys, last thing we can allow happen is to allow Buddy Heal to go off. Because if Buddy Heal goes off, look out. I don't think he'll phrase it like that, but I think a lot of coaches believe what Rick Majerus uh, hammered into you as a beat writer over and over. As you look over a roster... Who's their best player? Who's their second best player? Don't let those guys beat you. If their fourth or fifth guys beat you, great. But when you're defending, you do not give the best player a chance to get rolling. So you're calling Buddy Heald their best player now? 
Well, I can look at their roster, but their scoring their options would score. seem to be getting a little thin right now, given the the stuff you've detailed here. Well, I got this Halliburton kid who's a young player on the rise, and so he's just barely getting started. And then uh, Richard Holmes is a center, and he's sort of a journeyman, but he's a decent player. And then DeLon Wright, who seems like he's on his 17th team. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so not quite good enough to be a big-time player, but the good news, and actually the great news, is good enough to be in the league for a number of years. Stay in the long. league long enough to get the pension. <laughs> oh, I, I'd have to, I don't know what the rules are, but he's got to be real close to it by now because this we're, we're five years into this thing. He's been in the league, and he's still in the league, man, so good for him. I couldn't even, I'd have to look at his resume to see all the teams that he's been with, but what's the difference? As long as you're in the league and you're drawing that paycheck, that's a win. Life is good. You didn't really, and you obviously you want to win. I get all that, but uh, the number one thing is you want to be able to uh, be in the league. And Long Wright has managed to keep himself in the league and nonstop too, uninterrupted. I don't think he's had to go to the G League or go to Europe during any of these times. So good on him. But as I look at this roster, yeah, Buddy Heald is your best player, and you could argue right now given the fact that Barnes and Fox are out, that Buddy Heald is your best player. But the truth is, I'm not sure that I would take, as far as entertainment, I think i go with Buddy the Elf more than i go with Buddy Heald. <laughs> Buddy the Elf. Or would you go with Buddy Ciamillo? i go with Buddy the Elf. Now, who is Buddy Ciamillo, you ask? Well, one of your relatives, because Ciamillo is your mom's maiden name. But whether it's your uncle or your cousin or your great-grandfather, I have no idea. It's my cousin, and his real name was Elmer. That's my grandfather's name? I'd go with Buddy. But nobody called him uh, Elmer. So Elmer was my grandfather's name, right? And then his son, Elmer Jr., went by Sonny. And then his son, Elmer III, who's still alive, goes by Buddy. So nobody went by Elmer, except uh, my grandfather. And I hardly spoke to him over the years because he didn't speak a whole lot of English. His native tongue was Italian because he came over. His name is on uh, on Ellis Island. So I've got two Elmers in the family, but nobody went by Elmer. And my, my uncle, Sonny, 99 years old. He just died last year. And in the war, he was lost at sea for five days. How about that? Did he talk about that? Or is that one of those things nobody talks about? Nobody talked about it. We all knew it, but he didn't talk about it. No. Five days. Can you imagine that? I'd rather not. Man, That's, put uh, it in his obituary. It's on my, I, I linked the obituary uh, when he died last year on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, what a! I think that's when you—that's <clears throat> when you really emphasize that phrase. Thank you for your service. That's, oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Really, wow. really underline that and put an exclamation point on the end of that one. Five days of seas—I I can't imagine. No, the hopelessness. You know, what are you doing for water? You read some. I've read stories. You know, I think we've all gone through school reading history. Whatever. You know, stories about. Uh, you know, people and surrounded by sharks and the yikes, you know, just just brutal stuff. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. strafed by, you know, if the enemy sees, I mean, there's all kinds of horrific stories out there. Absolutely. So that was my Uncle Sonny, 
but uh, my cousin Buddy. I think I'd go Buddy the Elf over Buddy Heald. No offense to Buddy Heald. <laughs> Buddy the Elf for the win. As far as entertainment, oh, Buddy the Elf. Buddy the Elf. It's, it's like a freaking top top three Christmas movie. I, I don't see how you could look, watch that movie I, 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 and not a, feel good about that's it. That's a pretty good movie. That it's really, funny. That really is. It's a modern day it's classic. Goofy. It's hard to consider it a classic when it comes out, you know, I don't know. You, the classics tend to be what you grew up with. And it's, uh, but I, I think that was a really good movie. That was really good. A lot of good moments in that thing. So with that in mind, I think the Jazz have a distinct advantage. But I thought the same thing in the last couple of games, even without Mitchell. Although I will say the Wolves, with their guys, are better than the Kings without their top two guys. That makes sense? Yes, it does. And that's the reason to be confident. Yeah. That the, the Wolves lineup Monday and the Kings lineup Wednesday – Going back to that thing that Talon wins most of the time, you would take the Wolves Monday lineup over the Kings Wednesday lineup. Yeah. If the Kings had Fox and Barnes and the Jazz didn't have their starting guard lineup, you'd feel different. I'd feel, I think I'd feel dramatically different. But I'm not as down on the Jazz right now as a lot of our fans and our listeners. And I say our fans, fans of the Jazz. And of course, they're also our listeners. Because I mean, maybe it's just the same thing to where the disgruntled tend to have a louder voice than, what would you say, the confident or the non-disgruntled, however you want to describe it. And I think that's across the board. Uh, you get that. I don't think that's unique to this situation. I think it's across the board in whatever area. The people who are upset tend to be more vocal than the people who are okay with whatever the issues might be. So I think we're hearing from a lot of nervous, disgruntled might be the two, in this case might not be the wrong word, but I'm trying to make a point. Uh, Less confident, same old jazz type of uh, mindset. Uh, So with that in mind, I get where they're coming from, but I am not in that spot with this team right now. I mean, they're going through a lull, there's no question, but they're going through a lull without their best offensive player. I think we'd all agree with that. So what better time to go through a low? I'd be far more nervous if they lost to the Wolves and they had Mitchell in the lineup. It would seem to be two different things, but I think because they won without Mitchell early in the year and because yeah, the depth because the depth has been such an obvious advantage for most of this season, the expectations, it's just the Timberwolves that they ought to, they ought to have done it. Okay. And they should have, but when you look at it, now that we're done, the depth is there, but the depth didn't perform at the level that it usually does. Right. So the depth wasn't there at that point. <laughs> it's there, but you got to have the performance. It's like I've said a million times. You can have all the draft picks you want, but if you don't draft well with those draft picks, what's the difference in having the draft picks? It doesn't matter. Well, it's the same thing. You can have the depth, and they have the depth, but if the depth doesn't perform the way it normally does, then what's the difference? You really didn't have the depth. And in the other game, in the most recent game two nights ago, the depth was pretty much Niang and not a whole lot else. So the depth didn't perform to the level that it did back when Mitchell was out and as it's done many, many times. I don't think that that's going to continue. I don't think now the slump that a couple of these guys are in depth-wise, I don't think this is who they're going to be until the season is over. 
I would be actually I'd be stunned. I got too much evidence to think otherwise that this is just an opportunity for them to get out of it. The way I look at it, these next, would you say, 11 ball games? Yep, 11 to go. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, you can argue if you're going to have a slump, if you're going to have a hitting slump, a shooting slump, it's better to have it with 11 games to go than with zero games to go, and you're in the postseason when everything is magnified a thousand times over. You are largely echoing Mark Eaton right now. If you heard the promo, I think it ran about 45 minutes ago. It'll run probably later this morning. It'll probably run on and off all day long. So if you're listening the rest of the day, And you hear the Mark Eaton promo, listen to it, and he's basically saying what PK's saying right now, which is you're going to hit a lull. You know, they've had these big win streaks, but nobody has 40-game win streaks. You have a lull. And so now the depth, how long does the lull go on and how bad does it get, that's always a question mark. And they're 6-6 in their last 12, but did they just bottom out shorthanded without Mitchell against the Wolves? And now here comes the road... Here comes the upswing now. Do they play better? Or you look at their schedule, and they're going to go 3-3 three and three in their next six and get Mitchell back to full strength, and then maybe we'll see a five-game run to end the season. You know, those are I, you know, I could are see loom- that. Looming out there. I, I think the Phoenix ball game on Friday is going to be awfully difficult because they're going to be jacked. And as far as we know, and they got to play the Clippers tonight, uh, they're going to have all their guys. I mean, they really haven't had any load management, and they haven't had hardly uh, – they've had a few crowders out right now. And he's a nice player for them, uh, but you know if he's not hitting, he's pretty much uh, over eight. We've seen that a million times over from him. But he just he provides a jolt, uh, so he's not he's not playing. So they're not one hundred percent, but they've got their key guys for sure, being Booker and Paul, and then the Aiton and some nice role players that they have on that team that can help you win ball games, not on their own, but they can help you. So I think that game is going to be really tough without Mitchell. So I've sort of, in my mind, written that off uh, as a loss. But uh, in, that's, why, that's why I think it's, it's in a sense, uh, doubly important. might be too strong. But I think it's a little more important tonight to get this win, to break the losing streak, and take your chances in Phoenix. Uh, probably not going to end the way you want it. But you go ahead and surprise me because I'm doubting you. Jazz, no, they're not listening now. They're on the road. But, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm doubting them Friday night, but I'm not so much doubting them tonight. All right, DJ and PK, stay with us. we got more of your action coming in. We will get to that next. No Mitchell, no Conley. What shot did the Jazz have to take down the Kings? DJ and PK, hit us up on DJ and PK on Facebook. On Twitter, David DJ James. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This, this this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hats. Is that right? <laughs> no. Hans. You'd like me to call you Pants. It's <laughs> the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God. Stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you handsome. Is that right? Well, it's better than Hans, yeah. Catch Hans and Scotty every day, presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com. Or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. It really is. I've done that exact same thing years ago. And, hey, today, i got to give a shout-out to the bus driver. The bus driver? The bus driver, yeah. What did the bus driver do? <laughs> the bus driver who is transporting the Corner Canyon girls golf team to their tournament this morning is listening to us. So shout out to him. What's his name? I don't know. I just got a text. It says bus driver's listening to you. Nameless bus driver. Shout out. <laughs> what Come up? on, Mrs. K, give us the name. <laughs> My guess is she doesn't know. <laughs> when I was a kid growing up, they had the name on a little like slide thing that was up on the uh, on the front of the bus. But that that may be then. Maybe it's not now. Bob, way to go, Bob! Way to go, Bob! You're the man, <laughs> Bob. What do you want us to talk about? Utes, Cougars, Jazz? What are you thinking? Uh... Got a lot of Jazz fans weighing in. Allen going for the comedy. The Jazz are not who we thought they were. Uh, I see what you did there, the legendary Denny Green. Nice. Who did we think they were? NBA champions. Did anybody think that? Yes. Realistically? Really, you think so? Yeah, did somebody think that? I don't know what percentage of the fan base. But when you got the best record and you're upset because Shaq says you can't mm-hmm. win the championship, that's because you think they can win the championship. So, yes, yeah, there's a percentage. I, I don't know. Now, you're right. There's a percentage mm-hmm. of people who heard that who just thought, be nicer to Donovan because he's my guy. You know, not everyone was all in on the championship. But I can't mm-hmm. believe that yeah. there weren't some people in on it. Well, oh, his name's Lynn. I just got the uh, update on the bus driver. Shout out Thanks to Lynn. Listening, Lynn. <laughs> they must still be in route. Uh, I don't. I don't see. I. I. Yeah. I guess you're going to be some fans who are just. You know. You're going to be optimistic and and whomever the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to win the World Series and when you break spring training, if you're a diehard Pittsburgh fan. So there's going to be somebody who's going to think that. But I think that even most. Uh, diehards are thinking and and that's really i was thinking about this yesterday uh you know our good friend Locke loves to promote the nba and he loves it that's his job i get it and i respect it but the fact is if we go through all this and get lakers nets that's really a hit on what the nba is about in terms of competitive balance i believe doesn't mean i won't watch it and it won't be exciting because i will watch it and it will be exciting for me because i've watched every nba finals and literally every year of my life I can't remember. Uh, so, uh, but I think it's uh, it'll be a knock against the predictability of the league that we go through all this song and dance and we get all excited about a team who has the best record in the league for most of the season and then they don't get to the final. And the two teams that we expected to get to the final after trades and free agent signings were made and forced trades and all that stuff, and where there they are two biggest markets on each side of the country. Uh, So from a competitive balance standpoint, I hope it doesn't happen. But at the same time, if it does happen, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm going to watch. So either way, they've got me. Uh, I I don't think that a lot of people thought that the Jazz were going to win the title. 
I think very, and I'm talking about jazz fans here. I'm talking about very, very few. But their hopes did rise as they continue to play well. I understand that. I think a lot of jazz fans in the back of the mind are worried about the super teams. And if it is two super teams that were leveraged by players that are brought together and players pairing up with their friends and elite players and all that, that's going to that's gonna be a huge topic of conversation. And they've already, we've already heard the reports. Nobody's come out and put their, their name and their face on it. But a lot of clubs, owners, GMs uh, want to change the buyout rules. Because on top of the stars going together, for Blake Griffin not to dunk for however many months he didn't dunk for, and then they, they just give, the Pistons give up on him, they buy him out, and he goes to the Nets, and he dunks like immediately in game number one. He runs in. Oh, so you're not really broken down. You just refused to dunk for the Pistons, who are paying you multi-million dollar deal, mega money, and now all you just want to go play with your guys and win the title. Well, that's great. I mean, that takes some of the competitive spirit out of it. No matter how much you want to defend the stars, that that's brutal. That is just brutal for every fan base in every city not named LA and New York. That's brutal. When we come back, Luke Easterling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Luke Easterling, editor, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group, is going to join us next. Tim Lacombe to talk jazz, jazz radio studio analyst. He'll be here at 8.30. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time to welcome in Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. Luke, good morning. Good morning, guys. How we doing? Good. So as the countdown clock ticks down, we get closer to the draft. You ready to get on with this already? Man, this thing has been analyzed and hyped. And we know where the top picks are headed, at least the top two. People might be able to think they can guess the top three. The Niners are trying to play the cards close to the vest. But set aside the picks. Who do you have the most confidence when we look back at this draft, you get five or six years down the line, who do you have the most confidence in actually delivering on the potential that's promised by one of these uh, first few picks? Uh, You know, so much of that comes down to where they go, I I think. So on the front end, it's a little difficult to say anybody other than Trevor Lawrence, right? Because, you know, we know he's going number one. We know that, honestly, that the Jaguars don't have a, a really bad roster in terms of teams that you're used to seeing picking number one. Obviously, they haven't had a whole lot of team success uh, since losing that AFC title game, but this roster is really not, not that bad. So I think that the fact that the Jags are going to take him at one, they've got an additional first-round pick, they've got multiple second-round picks, they've got a chance to, to really build around Trevor Lawrence very quickly and be successful. So, I mean, you know, that's the easy answer because we actually know where he's going to end up. But I think if I were to, to, to bank on a player, no matter where he lands, I still don't understand the, the, the idea that Justin Fields is going to fall out of the top five, maybe even out of the top ten. That's preposterous to me in terms of my evaluation of him as a player. Um, obviously, Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two. I would take Justin Fields at number two with that without question. Um, so I, I think whoever ends up with Justin Fields, whether it's a team trading up to get him, New England from 15 maybe, maybe they jump up uh, ahead of Denver and Carolina at, at number seven with Detroit. But I think whatever team is lucky enough to land Justin Fields outside the top five, 
uh, if that happens to uh, to take place, I think that's what we'll look back on. Similar to the fact that you know when when the Bears traded up for Trubisky and left Watson and Mahomes on the board, I think it'll be that similar kind of move, especially if we see Mac Jones go ahead of Justin Fields. So obviously, then you're at odds with what the Jets are expected to do, in that you believe that Fields is going to be better than Wilson. Why is that? I see a guy who is way more consistent on film. Uh, I think I, I see a guy who is bigger, more physical in the pocket, and, and can can handle um, you know the, the the rigors of an NFL game and handling a pass rush. Obviously, you know the one of the biggest reasons Sam Darnold didn't succeed in in New York was you know his supporting cast wasn't that great, and particularly along the offensive line. So with a guy like Zach Wilson, if you're putting him behind that same offensive line. I don't know how well that's going to go. And I think when you compare the, the, the highs on, on Zach Wilson's film are great. If you make a highlight reel of Zach Wilson, he looks like a potential number two overall pick. But if you make a low light film, you'll wonder why he's being drafted at all. So I think that's where it comes into with me that the consistency is just not there. Obviously the flashes are incredible. And I blame Patrick Mahomes. You know, you get, you have a guy like Wilson who can make some of those Mahomes like throws especially when he escapes the pocket and he can sling the ball, change arm angles and do all these fun things. And that's exciting. But Mahomes is great because he also takes the layups. He can hit the layups. He can be consistent with his accuracy. And I feel like Zach Wilson just didn't do that enough for me on film. And again, usually his team was the best team on the field, if not always last year. And the fact that he was still inconsistent and not able to be dominant on a consistent level against lower level competition that gives me concerns and then you contrast that with what justin fields was able to do against some of the top competition particularly that performance against clemson while playing injured i just don't understand why that's a conversation so if you're one of the quarterbacks the jets pass on should you be happy about that because they don't have enough around you to make anybody successful no matter who they pick or do you think with a new coaching staff new regime uh, the talent's going to get upgraded, and whoever it is, probably Zach Wilson, but whoever it is is going to be dealt a better hand than Sam Darnold was. Yeah, I do think there is some some hope to be had there. I don't know if I would call it confidence because we haven't seen that team on the field yet, but uh, I think they made a great hire with, with Robert Sala. I think that you know Joe Douglas probably can't do any worse than, than the management that's been uh, in charge in New York for the last few regimes. Um, but yeah, I think if, and even if you look at the way they attack free agency, they signed some really quality players, particularly on defense, um, to, to really help that side of the ball. So I do think that there's some hope there that the Jets have kind of turned the corner, turned over a new leaf, and are willing to build a winner around whatever quarterback they take it to. But it wouldn't surprise me. You know, like I said, it's all about where you land. So I think obviously on draft weekend, every player wants to go as high as possible financially obviously that's helpful as well but at the end of the day especially a quarterback it's so important to go to a team that you know is going to build around you and your skill set and make you successful so you know going two or five or ten matters a lot less down the road if you end up in the right place that allows you to live up to your full potential i don't know if you saw this piece in sports illustrated on trevor lawrence but he seems to go out of his way to say and this is a quote there's also more to life it's also more in life than playing football. Uh, any concern there? No, not at all. And, and I wrote about that for DraftWire not long after those comments came out because I think it's something that needs to be said more often. I, I think it's a refreshing perspective from someone who was crowned a long time ago for this pick, right? I mean, we, you know, as soon as he, 
hit the field at Clemson, we were like, oh, this guy's special. And then he dominates Alabama in the national championship as a freshman. And we're like, man, we got to wait three years to draft this kid. And he lived up to it all along the way. He made it. He's going to go wire to wire as that number one overall pick. So to hear a kid like that admit that he cannot pretend that he has had it hard, right? He, he can't pretend he's Tom Brady where everybody's doubted him and everybody's, you know, said he couldn't do it. Everybody has said he could do it. Everybody has said he could do everything. So when he says things like, I don't have that chip on my shoulder and I can't fake it, I can't manufacture that, I like hearing that from a player who's not going to BS you and blow smoke. So, you know, the fact that he has a great perspective in terms of how important football is to him and how internal motivation is important, but understanding that at some point, you know, the, the switch has to flip off and you have to go be a human being and you have to realize that football is a game, it's a job, and yes, you want to go out and be the best you, you can be at it. But I think we need to see this more from players. We need to, and, and fans and, and the media, we need to react positively to that because I think that contributes heavily to some of the struggles these players have after they leave the game because their identity has been so wrapped up in what they do on the field that it's really hard for them to, to, to go to that next thing once they're out of the game. And I think there's just so many layers to that. And I think the more we see big name players like Trevor Lawrence continue to talk about that and be honest and, and you know, very forthcoming about the, the, the realities of, of off field life and, and maintaining that work life balance, I think that's important. We're joined right now by Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today. Sports media group talking NFL draft. So assuming that five of the top nine, and you know maybe the Patriots trade up and it ends up being five of the top seven picks or quarterbacks, history says two or three, maybe four of them uh, will be busts and not worth it. But for all the people, and we have plenty of Utah fans right now, who want to hear you say more negative stuff about Zach Wilson, that he's not going to make it. There's pl- there's a, the rivalry is alive and healthy here. But I think that the thing we've seen with the draft now is if you want a quarterback who's got a decent chance of being a starter, you got to go all in on a top 10 pick. you got to pass on whatever generational talent there is available at other positions because – the draft, everybody who's got a shot is going early. You can't wait until the middle or end of the first round or later anymore. I mean, like the last four or five drafts, there hasn't been a third or fourth round guy who's made it. So should we criticize these teams too much for reaching these for these guys? Because there doesn't seem to be another path. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you do have the, the rare outliers. You have guys like Dak Prescott, who was a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. You have a guy like Lamar Jackson, who should have obviously been a much higher pick than number 32. But again, it goes back to what I said before. It, it comes down to teams being willing to do what's necessary around those quarterbacks to make them successful. And, and to your point about passing on generational talents at other positions, look at a team like, you know, the, the Lions who took Calvin Johnson at number two. And nobody would doubt that Calvin Johnson lived up to that, right? He was everything we thought he would be. He's a Hall of Famer. But it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, and, and Matt Stafford wasn't even really a bad quarterback. But it's, it's, you know, look at a team like Cleveland taking Miles Garrett, who has lived up to everything that you expected Miles Garrett to be. But it's because Baker Mayfield has been successful as a quarterback that that team is now in the playoffs and the fact that they've built around him as well. So, you can take, you know, the Browns, Joe Thomas was one of the best left tackles we've ever seen, and he never played a playoff game. <laughs> so, you know, you can hit on that 
incredible talent at even another premium position, whether it's a pass rusher or an offensive tackle. And that guy can be a Hall of Fame player, and it won't matter if you don't have the quarterback. So while, like you said, the, the history says that half, half or more of these guys are going to be, be busts at the top of the draft, it, you still got to have one. So you got to just take a swing and hope you're one of the one or two that hits on the right guy. In addition, it's to quarterbacks' profiles rising, which is obvious. It seems like corners and receivers, and maybe I'm off on this, but it just seems to me that their profiles have risen, and it's important to have those corners and receivers. And I look at this draft, at least in the first round anyway, and that's what we'll focus on for the first day, obviously. It seems like we could have four or five uh, of those position players going early. Who do you like there? Yeah, and I think, again, when you talk about position value, it all relates to the quarterback, though. You've got to protect the quarterback if you have one. You've got to get after the other guy's quarterback, and you've got to make his life easy with pass catchers, and you've got to make his life hard with guys covering those guys. So it all comes back to making life easy or hard for your quarterback and the other, the other quarterback. So this year's class is a, is a really good one for both of those positions in terms of corner and wide receiver. Obviously, at the top of the draft, you've got LSU's Jamar Chase, the, the Alabama pair, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, I think all three of those guys are, are kind of in a tier of their own. There's some intriguing kind of undersized but explosive playmakers that, that all could challenge to go in the first round and I think would be good values outside of the first round. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, Rondale Moore from Purdue, Kadarius Toney from, uh, from Florida. If you like a bigger, more physical guy, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota uh, is going to be worthy of a first-round pick, in my opinion. I think he'd be a great fit for Baltimore. Uh, we mentioned Lamar Jackson and building around him. He'd be exactly what that offense needs. Um, and then at corner, you've got kind of a, a, a two-headed monster at the top. You've got Patrick Sertain Jr., uh, which just still makes me feel really old to say. Him and Asante Samuel Jr. in the same draft just makes the gray hair just multiply by the minute. Um, but And J.C. Horn is the other one, who's Joe Horn's son. So I, I can't win either way with this corner class. Um, but, yeah, both of those guys, I think, could be – the first defender off the board. It's going to be a really rare draft in which we could get all the way to pick 10 before we see a defensive player taken off the board. So I think the Cowboys at 10 would love that scenario. They have to take defense, I think, at that pick and to be able to take their pick of all the defensive players in this draft. And I think it would be a corner certain uh, or horn would make a lot of sense there. But, yeah, it's a good year to need a top corner or a top wide receiver at the top of the draft. So I'm all in on Pitts, and that makes PK laugh, but part of the magic of the show is PK laughing at me, so in a weird way it works. Uh, am, I, am I too far in on this guy? Is he a slam dunk? Is there uh, something that could uh, get him untracked and mess it up? Is he the guy? I mean, obviously I think part of that does come down to how you use that guy, but if you can't maximize that potential, you should probably not have a job in the NFL. Um, he's the best non-quarterback in this draft. He is number two overall on my board uh, in terms of just grading and ranking the players individually in a vacuum. So it's Trevor Lawrence and then it's Kyle Pitts. Um, and honestly, his athletic profile, no matter what position you call him, is basically, I mean, the closest we've really been able to find is Calvin Johnson. I mentioned him earlier, and, and I, I hate to make comparisons with Hall of Famers to rookies because it's just not fair, but athletically, he compares very favorably to Megatron. So when you talk about adding that guy to your offense, you can call him a tight end, you can call him a wide receiver, I call him a unicorn, you can call him whatever you want. That guy with that skill set 
is going to be able to dominate at the next level. He's big. He's athletic. His arms are ridiculously long. He's got the largest wingspan in this draft. Those are all things that quarterbacks are going to love. No matter where he lands, I think he's going to be a difference maker. He can make plays at all levels of the field. Obviously, he's going to dominate in the red zone. He's, he's the kind of guy who's not covered even when he's covered. And, and when you're always open like that, you can win those contested catches. Quarterbacks are going to fall in love with you. I think he is the real deal. I think he's worth a top-five pick. If he falls anywhere lower than that, it's going to be a one we remember for a long time. Harrison, ETN, the only possibilities for running backs going in the first round? you like somebody else? No, not at all. And I think, honestly, Javante Williams from North Carolina, I'd put money on him going in the first round instead of uh, Travis HN from Clemson, for sure. I think that that's definitely the top tier, those three. But if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I'd, obviously I think Harris would be the first off the board. Uh, but I think Javante Williams from North Carolina has a better chance of cracking the first round than HN at this point. So under your theory, which I think makes a lot of sense, that what makes a quarterback's life better and makes quarterbacks more productive, why don't running backs get more play? I mean, isn't Ezekiel Elliott making Dak, when he's healthy, obviously, uh, Dak Prescott, and apparently he's going to be back to health this year, doesn't he make Dak Prescott's life a lot easier and make him a better quarterback, the threat of that run game? Absolutely, and, and this is the part of that running back conversation that's, that's more complex than people want it to be, I think. I think people want to either say, well, you have to take a quarterback, uh, a running back this high to make it make sense or make a difference, or you can wait until the fourth round because, you know, look at these examples. We always want to use the outliers. We always want to use the exception to, influ- you know, to, to justify the rule, and that's not how that works. When it comes down to it, no matter what position – you take really good football players and you'll be okay. And that's when, when I think about a guy like Najee Harris, you know, people will say, oh, you know, it's too early to take a running back at 24 if you're Pittsburgh or even if you're 18 at Miami. Not when it's a really special player or a really good player. You're 6'2", 235, and can do what Najee Harris can do physically and, and he's a three-down back and can make plays in the passing game, the running game. I don't care what position that guy plays. He's a, he's a very special player and I want him on my team. So, you know, just because the Jaguars found James Robinson last year the way they did doesn't mean everyone can do that, or doesn't mean that you know every running back in the fourth round has a better chance of, of being a better value for you than taking a guy like Ezekiel Elliott at four. If you determine that this guy can be a special player for your offense and, and be such a difference maker and, again, take so much pressure off your quarterback, obviously you have to have the offensive line to allow that guy to work. But I, I just don't buy into this. You know, you can just find a court. You can find a running back later. You can find one later. Yeah, every now and then somebody does, but that doesn't mean you should pass up the best ones in the draft if that's something you need because you think you can be the one to find the one or two guys in the later rounds that'll end up being productive. That's not how it works. Well, Luke, we appreciate the time and the insight. We'll be fascinated to see how it works out, and all eyes are on Zach Wilson here. Uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Enjoy the draft. Luke Easterling, you can read him. Uh, he's the editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. All right, when we come back, Tim Lacombe. Whoa, Jazz. whoa, whoa. Back it up. What? His low lies, his low lights would wonder if he's even drafted. Yeah, I know. That was harsh, huh? He's a ute. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's number one in the hearts of many Ute fans. I'll give you that. I don't know if he's They're going to root against Zach Wilson. Oh, 
Yeah, some youths will, absolutely. I mean, I don't believe everybody They're will. They're sick. But, but some... No, I thought BYU doesn't matter anymore. Get them off the schedule. That, who are they? Okay, you can say that, and I understand who you're taunting, but you know that I 100% don't believe that. 100% I don't believe that. They don't matter anymore. Why would you care what, uh, I was going to say Luke Wilson, because the actor, but uh, Zach <laughs> Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Why would you care what Zach Wilson would do? They don't matter anymore. Uh, yeah, that's just something they throw out there. They do matter. They matter a I, lot. I the can only library. go by what people say. <laughs> I watch the news every night. I flick back between uh, Don Lemon and Laura Ingram. I only know what they say, and they tell me the truth. Both sides give it to me unbiasedly, so I only know what's out there. I only know what people say, and I heard people say BYU doesn't matter anymore. So why in the world would you root against Luke or Zach Wilson? Because BYU still matters. But I'm going to be rooting for Lisa Wilson. It's going to be her big night tomorrow. There it is. do it. Yeah, let us know. Uh, keep us updated on her Instagram page and what she's got to say. Oh, she's going to be there. She she went and got to she went to the spray tan place to get ready for this. Okay, that's the kind of stuff we need to know. <laughs> I love that gown. I've never met her. The, bas- the, bas- the basement's almost done too. They've been the basement. That. Yeah, yeah. But I'm confused because why are they doing the basement if they're or, going to be back in Cleveland? Originally, apparently, they're supposed to be doing their thing here in Salt Lake. Then decided to go to the draft. So. Well, that's smart thing for them because they're going to be the first ones. Gonna he's going to be the first because Will, uh, Lawrence is staying home. He's going to Clemson somewhere there. Yeah. Oh, he's doing it from the college. He's he made Clemson. Okay. Yeah. So the he's not going to be there, obviously. So the then. first guy to cross the stage. Yeah. One Zach Wilson. How about that? Our guy Zach Wilson, man. I hope he lights it up. Corner Canyon Zone. I wonder if Lynn drove drove him on the bus. Shout out to Lynn. No, in order to get him, they gave him a chauffeur as part of the Oh, deal. so Lynn drove the whole team, but they chauffeured Zach. Don't forget, Zach started, I think, as a freshman or began as a freshman at Jordan, so he had to make the move. DJ and PK coming up next. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hats. Is that right? <laughs> no. Hans. You'd like me to call you Pants. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God. Stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you Handsome. Is that right? Well, it's better than Hans, yeah. Catch Hans and Scotty every day, presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you apart by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now, and you can save thousands on a new roof. Call Pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former assistant at BYU. is on Rick Majerus' staff up at the U as well. Look at you, Tim, a man of the people, something for everybody. A Ute, a Cougar, and now a jazz employee. You're doing it all, Tim. 
Well, you've got you've got to. Um, you know, one of my one of my young mentors in life was a, a, a up and coming writer by the name of Patrick Kinahan. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff, but one of his favorite quotes is "You got to." It's got to. That's your cue, PK. Oh, me? Yes. Nah. Well, yeah, I must. I got to. I did, and I will, and I will continue to, to got to. Uh, no doubt I'm about it. it on a tee for him. <laughs> oh, it's good. You know, we just heard Mike Conley talk about uh, he still feels that the Jazz are confident. And I try not to get caught up and go too crazy over any win or loss, uh, particularly in the regular season. Playoff can be a different story, obviously. Uh, so as I look back and try to step back a little bit, I believe what Mike is saying because he's a tried-and-true veteran, so I don't think he needs to go and have any outrageous statements for the sake of making them and trying to convince people, no, they really are confident and so forth. So the point being, I believe what he's saying is true, and I believe they have maintained a level of confidence even though they have a two-game losing streak to Minnesota. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're – there is no reason, you know, to to panic. I think, um, you know, you take any contender and you take an all-star off of, you know, that contender for a spell, there's bound to be a couple bumps and rocky rocky times. And, um, you know, really I think what the Jazz ran into with, with Minnesota was a, a team that, um, you know, was finally kind of all together literally has zero to lose. And um, I guess at the end of the day, I really one of those proverbial bad matchups. And um, so I think those, those things kind of couple together, most importantly, just the fact, the fact that the jazz for the first time really all year are, are really starting to kind of enter that injury area. I think one of the reasons they've their number one team in the league right now overall is they, They've had a ton of continuity, and while they've had guys miss, they've always had plenty of guys uh, and, key, and key guys available. Um, and so they're kind of entering that stretch now where, you know, tonight it's going to be without Donovan and Mike, and, um, you know, you just you got to temper your expectations a little bit with those guys not on the floor. I thought in the third quarter specifically of the Monday night game in Minnesota – that I saw the Jazz confidence at a season low. I thought there were multiple guys passing up multiple shots, and I thought for a stretch there, while Joe was on the bench, that Clarkson was the only guy who really wanted to shoot the ball. Now, everybody's going to have a low point at some point. Um, Did you see any of that, and what does it take to bounce back from that? And maybe they did in the fourth quarter because Niang hit a few shots, and they played differently. Um, so I think there's a couple things there to unpack. I think number one, <clears throat> when a, when a player like, like Donovan's out, you know, for the most part, uh, everybody's role changes. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. is bumped up a, a, a bit and, you know, they're, they're in a little bit of uncharted territory, particularly when you speak of late in a game when, you know, usually it's, it's pretty clear how they're going to win games. Uh, they're going to really battle and then, uh, toward the end, you know, Donovan's been kind of the closer, the guy in the fourth quarter and kind of put it away. Um, and so I think there's a couple things. I think number one, they really miss, you know, his ability to get his own shot and most importantly, kind of stop 
runs getting to the line. Uh, Donovan's done a much better job, and, and I will say the NBA officials have done, done a much better job rewarding Donovan for for being aggressive and getting to the you know getting to the rim and getting to the line, and that stops runs. And so yeah, when when you're in the guts of the game and you're typically used to other people doing it, and you know I would imagine there's a little bit of hesitation with some of those guys who like wait a second is this what I should really be doing right now and um the bottom line and the answer to that is yes because the way the jazz play is is very system driven and uh is really keyed on ball movement when the ball moves and you've got an opportunity to shoot it you better shoot it because uh you don't shoot it you pass it up you end up turning it over uh or getting you know a shot that maybe not as a desirable so uh and i think there's a couple things to that um Again, I think this all stems from, you know, missing important pieces and everybody trying to uh, figure that out on the fly. So right now, I do not know if they're going to get the number one seed. I have my doubts. Uh, A week or so ago, I didn't. Maybe in a week or so from now, that'll change. But if they don't get the number one seed, is that a big deal? Um, you know, I think we've made it a big deal because it's, you know, it's what you, it is really the, I guess from the regular season, it's the great prize. Um, you know, there's one for each league, there's one for overall. And I think for, you know, a couple of months here, we've really kind of had our eye on that. But again, in fairness, one of the reasons the Jazz were there, um, in that spot was because they were healthy majority of the season. Uh, you watch Anthony Davis miss 30 games. I mean, LeBron's obviously uh, still on the shelf. And um, so, you know, Ben Simmons has been out a little bit for for the 76ers off and on. Um, obviously, Kawhi, Paul George. So you look around the league, and this is what everybody else has been dealing with now that Jazz are dealing with it. So I think you kind of have to temper your expectations. But right now, they're still in the driver's seat. Um, they still have the ability you know, if they if they can get things kind of righted quickly, there's an opportunity there. But I like you. I'm I'm starting to kind of look at it and look at the challenges they have and um, start to look at okay, what would other matchups look like so that uh, we're prepared in case that happens. So of these teams that are battling for six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the one that scares you the most and the one the Jazz should embrace the most, assuming they don't hold on to, well, assuming that there's somewhere there in the top three. I mean, all of this is flexible six through ten. So what do you think? Oh, I think, um, you know, the the team that kind of stands out at you from a, you know, a recognition standpoint is the Warriors, and obviously – Curry, but I mean, I watched them last night just get absolutely demolished uh, by Dallas. It wasn't even a game ever. And, um, and and you start to watch them and understand that there's a way you can guard that team um, to really kind of make them do things they don't want to do. So they don't necessarily scare me like you think the Warriors would. I think that, you know... Uh, excuse me, Lillard, obviously, uh, where they're at. They're seventh right now. Um, and obviously that's a, that's a really tough matchup. Those two guards are incredible. Um, a team that nobody's really talking about, the Jazz are going to see them twice coming up here, uh, and they're playing pretty good basketball. 
is the Spurs. You know, the Spurs are kind of fighting. They're in that nine position right now, but you know they're well coached. You know they're going to play really hard. Um, but I think if I had to choose, you know, seven to ten, six to ten, somewhere in there, I mean, I'm probably looking – you don't really want to see, in my mind, you really don't want to see. If you can choose, you don't want to see the Blazers, and you don't want them to fall into that. That would be a that would be tough. I think for the first time the other night, we saw Gobert and Ilyasova, and I sort of liked it. Ilyasova got some foul trouble, but I liked what I saw. You think they go to that a little bit more? Well, I made that comment when when he kind of had his first breakout game. Uh, you know, when he got an opportunity to play. And I, you know, I just said I told Jake just kind of bookmark that for for later on for playoffs. I think what it what they ended up doing the other night was they played, um, you know, Mieoni's minutes went to Ilyasova, so they played Ilyasova and, and Yang together, kind of a, a a fairly big lineup with Niang Gobert and um, and Ilyasova. I think that it's uh, I think something to look at. I think it's a guy who can really shoot it. I think he's somebody who has now shown particularly um, being pretty valuable as a stretch guy. And, you know, he's made enough plays on the glass and around the rim. I don't think he's, he's absolutely he's not going to be Gobert, obviously, or, uh, or anything near that. But he's, he's got some ability to, to, you know, he had an awesome block in the Laker game against Kuzma. Um, and so I just think, again, you're, you're constantly looking for uh, little advantages or – you know, particularly when you hone in on a team, you know, what rotation could we possibly put Ilyasova in that would really cause them some issues spacing-wise, defensively, you know, where we could maybe get some uh, some advantage. And I think that that's the chess match that becomes the playoffs, and it really is all driven by the team you play in the matchups. Tim Lacombe joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, you hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post. Uh, I'm curious with Jordan Clarkson. PK and I have both been looking at his month-by-month numbers, and they have been trending south. Now, they have bounced back a little bit here in the last month, uh, but they're not what they were early in the year. And it seems like there's a couple explanations. One, how he's used within the Jazz system is getting scouted and teams are catching up to it a little bit. Or two, he's physically getting worn down. He's a slight guy playing big minutes. He's on the ball a lot. He's clearly spending a lot of energy out there and is just catching up to him a little bit. If that's the problem, will the week off before the playoffs solve it, or does he need more time off, or it just is what it is, or I'm off base into something else? What do you think? No, I think it's actually – I think that's a pretty good assumption on both things. I think it's a combination of two things. I think obviously fatigue – and, um, you know, just wearing tear is kind of starting to catch up. And, you know, like, like you said there, he, he's a guy who, in his time, his usage is, is pretty high, um, and it requires a lot of effort. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of dribbles involved uh, with Clarkson's game, and, um, you know, particularly when he drives it and uh, is kind of able to get to that little jump hook that he has down in the lane. Um, but th- there is a lot of wear and tear there, and and then I also believe that teams really do understand, you know, what he's going to do nightly, um, and the book on him is anytime, anywhere, and you you always have to contest and be really physical with him. Um, I think the third thing I would add is is I think as he's spiraled a little bit, as the numbers have dropped, 
I've sensed that some frustration and I sense that he's, he's pressing a little bit. Um, I don't sense that that's something that he, he struggles with for long periods of time, but I think he's in a little bit of a, a mental kind of press right now. Um, and my experience has always been, you just need a game where you can break out of that, where you see, you know, almost effortless time, you know, with ball going in the basket and that's what we've seen from Clarkson. That's what we love about Clarkson is his ability to get quick buckets. And so, uh, like everybody, there's times in season where you've really got it going, and there's times where you got to search for it. Uh, I feel like he's been searching for it for a bit, um, for extended period of time here, uh, which is only encouraging to me because I've seen when it clicks, um, and I would sure like the timing to come when playoffs hit and Jordan Clarkson starts to click again because that's a really good combo for the Jazz. Are the Lakers going to have enough time to get together? I mean, they've obviously got a lot of talent and they're defending champs, but how many games do they need to really click in? Or are they going to be vulnerable in the first round right out of the gate just because they're not all on the same page yet? Well, I, I mean, that's it's crazy because I remember, honestly, a year ago right now, uh, well, I guess it wasn't right now, but I guess in terms of the year, right? Right before the playoffs started in the bubble, I really did kind of make a, a fairly sweeping judgment and said, I don't think the Lakers have what it takes to win it. I mean, they're completely out of sorts, guys resting, guys hurt. Um, and, and to me, like, you have to be able to get in a rhythm. That's just that's just what you've heard from the time you were, you know, first around the game. There, there's a There's a period of time where you really do need to um, kind of get together, get on the same page, and hit the ground running. Uh, does that apply with AD and LeBron? Uh, well, we saw AD come out, you know, come back from injury, and he has not been stellar. Um, he's still AD, he's still a great player, freakishly long, has great ability, but everybody being on the same page. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to jinx it, but they, do, they don't look great to me right now, but I'm telling you the difference when LeBron is a on on the floor and then engaged like he is in the playoffs, I mean you're talking about a totally different thing. So I'm going to reserve judgment uh, at least till the playoffs start and kind of see what they've got. Um, I really like Schroeder. I think he's a nice addition. I think he actually is kind of an upgrade from what Rondo was able to bring him last year. Um, I like uh, you know I like some of the pieces they have, but to your point so much of of their ability is going to depend on their their you know their rhythm and how they kind of jive together once they get out of this uh I guess this period where they've all kind of been hit and mess. We appreciate the time as always Tim. You got a few hours to clear your mind and then right back at it. Seven o'clock. Yeah, I love these late games. In fact I, I think that's why Hatch started with uh, the Party Hounds rendition of Living After Midnight. <laughs> because I've been doing a lot of living after midnight um, with these 8 o'clock games. So thank you to the NBA for that. It's been it's been really fun. Tim, we will talk to you again uh, in a week or so. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. See you, boys. Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz radio studio analyst. Wait till he gets to the uh, playoffs when it's uh, nine. <laughs> You're right. Spot on advice, PK. <laughs> It's an 8.30 game. There's no chance that's tipping at 8.30. They're going to hold that for 10, if not 15 minutes. 
All right, DJ and PK, uh, coming up, we got more on the Jazz. And also, PK, we got college football news that I think will uh, interest uh, local fans. Uh, it's uh, There's still a bunch of maybes out there, but, man, there's uh, it, it sounds like change is coming. We will get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Mark Eaton is with us. Overall this year, Mark, how have you felt about this Jazz team and the way Coach Snyder has them playing? It's been fun to watch. What a run it's been. They've hit a little bit of a challenger with injuries, et cetera, the last week or two. But in general, they've really come together as a team. I think that the trust level and, and the rapport between the teammates out on the floor, it's been fun to just see them kind of come together. And I think they'll get through this rough spot. I'm actually kind of glad they're having this rough spot now rather than 10 games from now because it gives them a chance to kind of go through that low, which every team does and kind of rebuild and regroup and build some momentum going into the playoffs. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When I get the carpets clean, tile clean, it's never clean. It's Zero Res clean. $33 per room clean. Carpenter tile, April only. You deserve the best. You deserve zero res. Schedule with zero res today. Call them at 801 288 Schedule online by searching for zero res carpet cleaning. So, PK, the Athletic has a whole series of stories getting posted this morning. They've been going up during our show here about the college football playoff. And the headline is 12 team college football playoff expansion, quote, building support. And there are multiple writers in on this, uh, the people you would expect. Um, Nicole Auerbach's got a thing about it. Andy Staples, they're examining it every which way from zero because football is king and we're in the football offseason. Uh, but Andy Staples said that, an, an, and I think this kind of resonates because this is how you have learned about a lot of stuff over time. Somebody who he considers a pretty good source, a college AD, he doesn't identify who, obviously, tells him, uh, you know, we're looking at 12 team. And uh, Andy says in one of these stories, I, I kind of dismissed it. And two weeks later, it got floated to me by more people. And I realized that person's been right before, and I should have listened to them a little more closely. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but that's kind of the gist of it. And the reason they're looking at a 12 team is because the, the semifinals have been blowouts. And they're worried that um, because four schools have taken almost three quarters of the playoff berths, you know, we joke about, well, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and probably Oklahoma, and there's your field, and that really is what it's been. They feel like they need to include it or it's going to become a regional sport. They can see in the, they can see interest waning um, both in, in tickets and in TV ratings across the country, but also the semifinals have been blowouts. And the top players are going to the top schools because that's where they need to be to get into the playoff. So they think that by expanding it, they're going to spread some of the top players out and also build in, hey, if you're in, you want to be in the top four to get a bye, but if you can't get there, you're going to be really interested in being five through eight to get a home game. And if you're battling to get into nine to 12, you want to be in. So there'll be something at stake for everybody. So you hear all this and you think what? Well, I look at things from the Pac-12 perspective. I don't think it helps the Pac-12 uh, because then it's going to be, well, how many teams did you get in? And the Pac-12 is not going to get that many teams in because I don't, I don't know the format, but I'm assuming the five power fives get automatic bid. Yeah. 
and then they go and obviously figure out who the other seven are. And so what you're going to do is you're just moving the bag back a foot at first base because you're just going to get more SEC teams and more Big Ten teams and more Big 12 teams. That's what you're going to get. So the issue of it still being regionalized is going to be even greater, not less, because now you're going to have more people from the southeast of the country that are going to be way into it because they're going to get three or four unless they cap how many teams can get in. I don't know the parameters and particulars there. Yeah, I don't think they do either at this point. Right. So I just see, well, all right, Pac-12, we'll give you your one. And then if they go out in the first round, then the Nicole Arbucks and Andy Staples and blah, blah, blah are just going to pound on them even more. And so we, we threw you a bone, and you couldn't do anything with it. Meanwhile, we got four teams over here, and look at we got to the you know the equivalent of the Elite Eight and Final Four, I'm using the basketball terms. So I don't see where it helps the Pac-12. It gets them in, but I think it's going to be compared. Well, you only got one in. So from the Pac-12 perspective, the six or eight would probably be better. But of the 12, all you're doing is just putting in – more SEC teams, I think, and if the ACC should ever get it going, and they've got potential to get it going outside of Clemson. Obviously, obviously Clemson has dominated. I don't, I don't really see where that's a difference. And so you're going to look at uh, Clemson and Alabama, and both of those teams have quarterbacks from the Pac-12 area. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ohio State has one, and we saw Oklahoma has one. Now, both of those guys got Phoenix guys, and uh, they're not – you're going to get in, but you're going to get beat in the first round. So I don't think the idea is to get in. I think kids want – they want playing time above all, right, because uh, that's that's the number one thing. So they got playing time, and these high-level kids are going to get playing time no matter where they go. That's just the way it is. And then they want it to be a really, really big deal. It really matters. And so the Southeast, where they start tailgating on Wednesdays, is, is massive. And we just don't have that on our side of the country. And then they want the opportunity to win at the highest level. Well, just getting in is not the opportunity to win at the highest level. And then they want to play in the NFL. And all that screams is the Southeast. Unless the Pac-12 is willing to dump hundreds of millions of dollars into its football programs, which they're not. It's never going to solve the problem from the Pac-12 perspective. So the things that you just listed, I don't see where it makes much difference. I just did see uh, stats on what head coaching salaries are by conference in the Power Five and what the assistant pools are by conference throughout the Power Five. And the Pac-12 is paying uh, 50 to 70% of what the SEC is paying. Um, and 70 is probably pretty generous, maybe 50 to 60 or 65%. You know, and those are all averages, and there's, you know, and Alabama and Vanderbilt aren't paying the same thing. I get that. And neither Oregon State and USC. Uh, but just for a ballpark on how the Pac-12 is doing, and it was part of a story that said it was about the Pac-12 commissioner search, and that it's gone on for a while, and it's pretty quiet, and, you know, what are they going for here? Um, and it, one of the quotes in there was, until Pac-12 presidents think football is more important, it's the status quo. That it's not really about the playoff format. It's about 
the Pac-12 presidents, because an athletic department budget, as enormous as they look, as we get more of them crossing the, the 80, 100, and 120 million dollar numbers, as enormous as they look, they are still just a microscopic fraction of what is being spent on these campuses. If they wanted to crank it up, they could. And so the question is, do they want to? Well, why would they want to? What pressure are they receiving to do that? That's probably, that's probably an answer campus by campus because the pressure at uh, USC, the pressure at Oregon is different than what you're getting at other Washington State or Arizona or, or Utah. But that's, that's within the own conference. It's not you're, – you're, don't, I don't compare it to within the own conference. Right. I compare it to what they do at Ohio State, what they do at Oklahoma, what they do at Alabama, what they do at LSU. Yeah. It's not, not what Arizona does compared to SC that's going to matter. It's what SC does compared to those other teams that I just listened, listed in those programs. So it's so easy to dump on the college presidents, and they don't know their you-know-what from their you-know-what. I, I saw the tweet that I think who what Mandel had it, and then Wilner's going to pick up on it. And these guys, pretty much any time they speak, they're blasting the conference. And that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But what fan base is demanding that we have the same athletic budget or football budget as Ohio State. Nobody. They want to win at that high level. It's like BYU. They talk about it all the time. They want to win at the highest level. You don't want to pay at the highest level, but you want to win (laughs) at the highest level. Well, I want to have the body of Mr. America. But I don't go to the gym and diet to that degree. But I want it. Yeah, I want it. Now, I do go to the gym. People there, they see me and they say hi to me. But do I make the 24-7 commitment to get the body like that? Sure, I want it. And I put, I go to the gym pretty much six, seven days a week. And I put in my time. And I'm older now. And so, you know, I'm okay. But I, don't have, I could be a lot better. But I'm not going to put in the time. It's the same thing with BYU. They're not going to put in the money. It's the same thing with all these schools out here. They're not going to put in the money. No, they're not going to do that. So you're going to get what you pay for more often than not. Are you going to do the supplements and, if necessary, the roids, PK, if you want to be Mr. America? Well, I'm certainly not going to do roids, but I'm not going to do all that stuff. I haven't made a 100% commitment. I put in the time at the gym. I do what I do. Basically, I don't want a gut. There it is. gut. And as long as I don't have a big gut, where's my burrito? (laughs) Which is funny because I was hanging out with Schwarzenegger, and he said the same thing right before he made another movie. It was Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I was the only one with a burrito. (laughs) And and tonight, Wednesdays, we go to Lone Star over there on, uh, what's that, not Creek Road, 72nd South. Mm -hmm. And I get their shrimp burrito every Wednesday. And so Wednesdays, I just try to eat a granola bar and then not eat again until I get that. And I count down till my wife comes home and she stops by Lone Star. So that's good enough for me. You get the, I'm pretty sure you get the point. In fact, I know you get the point. I do get the but point. You, and but, the question the, is, how well do, do our listeners get the point? Yeah. Do our listeners get the and point? And I think the other thing is that the Pac-12's rep rides with – every conference's rep rides with what – the top one, two, or three teams do. You know, it definitely helps the SEC, even if Alabama's one, if Team 3 looks really good and Team 2 yeah. looks really good, and they really push Bama. And they got 10 wins in their own right. And if Georgia and LSU Auburn, and Florida LSU, can do that, yeah. Yeah. right, well, and those are the five. 
right. mean, it's a 14-team league. It's not the other nine. Missouri, right. South Carolina, Tennessee, nah, nah. So what? They're W's. It's out of those top five programs, can three of them have good years? Because the others change coaches. The others have flailed about at times, you know. But there got to be two of those other four have to push Bama. And does the Pac-12 have that? And the answer is obviously, no, they don't. No. So, And Oklahoma doesn't really have that many teams to push it in the Big 12, which is why the Big 12 occasionally gets shut out. If Oklahoma stumbles, then the Big 12 gets passed over. And that's happened. So, all right, well, that seems to be where the discussion is right now. There's still a lot of time for this to move around. But that 12 team seems to be what they're looking at. And they recognize that the bowl games are just losing steam by the year. And players are opting out, and they're going to continue to. And this this will just hurry that process along even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, they're willing to to pay that price to create something because uh, I think inside these conferences, because this isn't. I mean, we're looking at it from Pac-12's point of view, but they're not. But I think that the Iowa States of the world are looking at like we can't beat Oklahoma once. We have to beat Oklahoma twice because if we split, they're going to take Oklahoma. You know, so I think there's frustration in some of these other conferences with the way things are going. And even if you're not Iowa State, you know, if you're Baylor or, or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State, you're thinking, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Iowa State, because when it's our turn to have a big year, we're going to be up against what you were up against last year. You know, we're going to have to beat them twice. So I think there's a, a push for more teams. And, and, you know, 8, 10, 12, you know, who knows where this is going. I think they're definitely expanding. I think they're definitely going to go on campus. I think those are two things that we can count on. What it looks like beyond that, who knows? All right, and it, and it could change a couple times before it actually happens because we're locked into this system for another five years or so, the current one. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The question of the day, are the Jazz bouncing back? Are they getting a W in Sacramento without Mitchell, without Conley? A lot of you are tweeting at us, hitting us up on Facebook, DJ and PK, on Twitter at David DJ James, and grab your phone. Use the app, use the open mic feature, and send us your takes, and we'll get them on the air. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, we are brought to you in part by Minky Couture. Mother's Day is May 9th. Get the best blanket ever. It's also the best gift ever for Mother's Day. Minky Couture. Sandy and her staff are doing it again for our Zone listeners. Helping you get a ride on Mother's Day. Get 50% off now when you mention Zone 50 at a store near you or online at MinkyCouture.com. That's promo code Zone. 50, that's Minky Couture for Mother's Day. All right, the question of the day. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are out for the Kings game. What chance do the Jazz have of ending the losing streak? Now, Kings are going to be missing some of their guys, too. They're down a couple of their best players, so it's kind of offset in that regard. What are the odds? Clint says, unfortunately, the Jazz will lose. Why? He doesn't say why. Clint's just down. He's got an avatar. He's kind of glaring at the camera. I don't know. I don't think I want to ask Clint any questions. Well, I'm going to go Nancy Kerrigan here. Why? (laughs) Sean says, uh, uh, and this goes to our earlier discussion, um, about whether, you know, I was saying that the reason that, that the, uh, the Clints of the world are so far down on the Jazz is because they were so far up on them. And they have ignored the don't get, get too high, get too low. Uh, they were thinking championship, and nothing got you like losing to Team 29 uh, twice in three days. 
And you were saying, are there really that many people in on the championship? I mean, certainly some of the fan base was. And Sean says, I think the Jazz can win the NBA championship, which is why I was upset when Shaq said what he said. However, I never thought it was a guarantee. Well, of course not. Right. I never thought they were the favorite. They have a shot. They're a legit contender. They've got a shot. And... Okay, but you I, don't think they're going to do it, though. I still think they have a shot. I don't... You know, the, here's the funny thing. This is a weird NBA season. I think most years it's two or three teams, and one of them has a 50% or better sh- chance to win. Right now, I would say of every team, you don't you don't have a 50% chance to win. That, oh, that goes for the, the Nets, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Oh, I disagree 100%. Who do you think does? The Lakers? You just named them. Well, three teams can't have a better than 50% chance, PK. Oh, sure they can. You, be, I'm talking about getting to the finals. I'm talking about winning the championship. Well, all right, but I don't. That's not what I talk about. I talk about getting to the finals. Okay. Well, then we can rule out the East, and that changes the odds. No, I think I think the no, it doesn't. The Nets have a better than fifty percent chance I'll, to I'll get agree. to the I East. I agree with that. I agree and, with that. And the Clippers and and Lakers. They could each have a 50%, and our numbers meet what they're supposed to meet. So then there's a 0% chance that anybody else out of the West, Jazz, Suns, Nuggets, they all have a 0% chance of getting to the NBA Finals? I don't think they have a 0%. I'm, I'm making a point here. Their overwhelming favorites are the teams that we thought they were going to be the overwhelming favorites when this season started a month later than normal. And I don't think anything has really changed my mind. Does that mean that the Suns and the Jazz don't have a chance? No, they have a chance. But even with saying they have a chance, I don't think very many people are picking them. No, I don't think they are either. So it goes back, I mean, 50%, 48%. What the hell's the difference there? I mean, whatever. You're just you're, you're picking numbers. The point is that those teams are still the heavy favorites. David Locke, Mr. Basketball himself, has got the Clippers. So... How's that change? These are the teams that we expect to get there. And the that, Nets, if they don't get there this year, that only makes me more convinced that they're going to get there next year. Because <laughs> I'm going to give you a little bit of the rhythm and playing together and all that stuff. And they, they bet the other guys have just been in and out of the lineup the whole time. So that's why I don't talk about actually winning the whole thing. Because so many things can happen. The the the, the playoffs in the NBA are so long that you could be looking great in the first round and by the fourth round you got all sorts of injuries that eliminate you from potentially winning it all. We've seen that multiple times with multiple teams in the last five or six years and you can find it even more time if you go back further but you don't need to go back further. Right so I just look at the two teams that are going to get there and then I'll make my pick based on what's available from the two teams that are going to get there. That's the way I look at it. Rather than picking a team to win it all, unless it was the Warriors, you know, there's just, there's, there's some some exceptions. But generally yeah. speaking, I go east-west. Right. But with since in the super team era, especially in the super team era, although before it too, it was easy to look at LeBron's heat and say, they're going to do it. Now, it they was, did it twice, it and, it and they got beat twice. Yes. So they ended up splitting in their four chances. And with the Warriors, you know, we looked at them five years in a row. Now, the two years they didn't win it, they weren't healthy. One right. year they were a little dinged up. The other year they were decimated. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So that's why I don't get caught up in who's going to win the title in terms of prediction. I look for the two teams that I believe will get there. Well, at the and start we still of the year, the same three teams. At the start of the year, when I was saying, "Man, the Jazz just have an extraordinary amount of shooting. They have so many shooters." And you're like, two in the West." And I couldn't quite guarantee you that because I still had Lakers Clippers one two. And I like them two in the West, and I think they do have a chance. I'm not saying they don't. If they play at a high, high level for 16 games and shots go in and they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing and they're not double uh, forgetting to switch on a back-to-the-basket layup type deal. We don't know where I'm getting at. If they do what they're supposed to, which they are capable of doing, I do give them a chance. But I'm not picking them. All right, we got more reaction uh, coming in here. Uh, what chance do you give the Jazz tonight? Darishnikov, I can't even say that. Darishnikov, yeah, right. Or was said, he a ballet dancer? Says none. You mean Mikhail Prokhorov? I think he was talking Barishnikov. because <laughs> he's all about he's all about the elite dancers. Uh, <laughs> Darishnikov says none. No chance for the Jazz to win tonight. So you're a Laker fan, or no, you're just trolling no, no, no. people? I mean, what are you doing? You're Come trolling on. at that point. No, that's ridiculous. If the if the if the Kings had all their guys, I would think otherwise. But they're missing Fox, and Fox is I would double check the stats. He averaged like 25 a game. Yes, he another is by, Kentucky kid. He's by far and away the yeah. best player. I mean, I've said that for a million years. Calipari knows how to get guys to the NBA. Uh, that's for sure. He's a great talent evaluator for college to the NBA. Is another kid, De'Aaron Fox. Now, he was only there for a cup of coffee in college, as they mostly they are. So you never really get to watch them and develop them. And then that's that college basketball has its own issues for sure. Uh, but Fox is a very good scorer, and he's not going to play. He's got protocol things that are requiring him to sit out, and Barnes is out of the lineup. So Those are I, two of their top three scorers right there. Yeah, you're I looking could, for who scores 15 points a yeah. game or more. Fox is at 25. Barnes is at 16. Buddy Heald is at 16.7, almost 17 points a game. And I just like saying Buddy Heald. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> buddy. Bye, buddy. <laughs> Hope Remember you when find he was good. He was going to find his father. Bye, buddy. And they were all sad. <laughs> Why, yeah, Mr. Was, Narwhal? I know. That was a tough, tough moment. I felt their pain. Losing family members. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, but uh, but he healed. So I, I would sort of take that trade. If I got to have Mitchell and Conley not playing, I'm definitely choosing Barnes and Fox to not play on the other side. Aren't you? Isn't everybody? Yes, I think everybody would be. Yeah. So... I'll take that trade, and then I'll just go with the guys that I have left. I I like the Jazz guys, and maybe it's because I have a bias because I see them. I don't watch Sacramento at all. You know, see highlights here and there when they play the Jazz. When they play that's, the Jazz, that's that's, pretty, that's when you watch pretty the Kings. much it. Yeah, yeah, to an extent of beyond any highlights. There, there's uh, a there's a pyramid of what we watch. When we watch the Jazz one. We watch other Western contenders too. And then we watch the mega primetime games. You know, if they any any big game that's on TNT on a Thursday, ABC on a Saturday I, night. I refuse Sunday. to watch the Pelicans. <laughs> You've banned them. We have been force fed. You want to see Willie Zion Williamson? Eh, 
Not after like the twentieth time I done them. Right. If their team was really good, absolutely. But anything that's force fed, it's like a lecture. Nobody wants to be lectured. Nobody wants to be force fed. You will do this. I don't want to watch I, eleven in the West. I mean, we're just naturally, at least I am, inclined to say, well, forget that. I don't want to do that. Even if it's the right thing to do, if you're forcing me to do it, I'm probably going to say, I don't want to do that. Uh, So, you know, I I got sick of those guys, and I'm tired of Van Gundy lecturing me about social issues. Give me some solutions instead of just criticizing the problems all the time. And so I'm I'm sick of that. And so I I turn those guys off, and and then you see the highlights anyway. But I don't watch the Kings a bunch. So I think that the Jazz, they win this ball game based on the available players. And I believe in the Jazz available players a lot more. I think people are looking at it, oh, man, they're sucking, and they don't have Mitchell and Conley. But that's all you're looking at. You're not looking at the entirety of the story. And hopefully this thing for Conley isn't some lingering thing because that makes me a little concerned, you know, because you need that player. He's a veteran dude. Knows what he's doing, doesn't get rattled. I enjoy listening to him talk when they make him available because he seems to have great perspective on a lot of different things, and he's never really too high or too low. And he reminds me of what Joe Johnson brought to the Jazz. I used to, I like Joe Johnson when he played. Now he was at the end of the line, but when he spoke, I can remember when uh, Hayward was gone, and and we go over there. And first media availability with Joe Johnson after practice. They're asking him about Hayward. And he finally says, you know, I'm concerned about the Jazz. I'm not concerned about players who are not here. And I thought, absolutely. Who gives a crap about Hayward? He's gone now. You know, you know the team is what you have here. That's what you should be talking about. I remember him saying that over at the practice facility when he was up against the wall and we were all forming the half circle. And I always appreciated Joe Johnson and the wisdom that he brought to the team. And I think Conley has that same thing. And he probably has more of an influence because he's a younger player, so he's able to give more on the court. And I very much hope that this hamstring thing isn't a lingering and it's just a load management thing. Yeah, to me, there's kind of a gray area there. It is lingering, it is a load management thing, and it will. I just think it'll be a thing for the rest of his career. I just think he's at a point now where don't expect him to play three games in four nights. Protect okay, him in the back to back postseason. Right, exactly. So I'm and okay so with it. that's a plus, right? Yeah, big time. Actually, it was a little bit of a red flag when I when I heard he was out tonight. It's like it's not back to back. It's um, right. I agree. So maybe there's a little more to it, or maybe they're just being being real careful. That's what you I'm know? saying. I hope there it's isn't like a little they, more to it. They just maybe they're just like we really don't. I mean, Quinn has said it so many times. There's, and I get that sometimes it sounds like a convenient dodge, but it's what you always said about Majerus and the conference tournament. Rick would complain about it after he won the thing, so he had the maximum amount of credibility. Like, we won it. I'm not whining. We won it. I hate the conference tournament. We shouldn't be doing it. It sucks, yeah. you know? And I think that Quinn has said so many times, and he said it after wins. Now, he did say it after a loss also. Um, but it just, you know, I, you know, we have to keep better, getting better, eliminating mistakes, and we have to be playing our best ball when we get to the playoffs. He's already equated this to, you know, the high school or college class. You know, the playoffs are the final exam. And it's, uh, it's what you always said about the Arizona Wildcats winning their, their NCAA championship. They didn't win it in a year they won the Pac-12. They've won the Pac-12, but the year they won it, they were fifth. Well, who cared about the quizzes? The regular season is the quizzes. If you ace the final exam, that's all people are going to remember. 
And I believe if they ace the playoffs, they've got a shot. If they play to the best of their ability, I believe they've got a shot to win it all. Plenty of basketball to watch tonight. Lakers and Wizards, and the Wizards do have a unique way of raising their game for uh, whatever they perceive to be a high-profile game. Uh, The Wizards, we have seen them do well against the Jazz and the Nets and other elite teams. The Clippers, uh, they're playing the Lakers tonight on ESPN at 5.30, so you got that before the Jazz game. And then if you want to channel surf during commercial breaks, Clippers and Suns on ESPN. The Clippers are two oh, games definitely. behind the Jazz. Yeah. The Suns are one game behind the Jazz. Are playing. They tip off the exact same time, yeah. and they're on ESPN while the Jazz and the Kings are on AT&T Sportsnet. So. Time to break out the computer. Yeah, side by side. Let's get the screens going. I was asking Yach this. What, what happened to picture-in-picture picture with HD? The technology not compatible? I find that hard to believe. Did, HD, did the picture-in-picture picture not sell well enough after the initial? I, I had a picture-in-picture picture TV, my last TV before we went HD, and it was awesome. Just hit an exchange during the commercial breaks. I have been told that there are picture-in-picture options. You have to have the right providers and also the right setup to do it, apparently. But apparently it's still a thing, but not as prevalent as it once was. Well, it needs to be because for sports fans, it was awesome. I agree with you. It was spectacular. All right, when we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Mark Eaton is with us overall this year. Mark, how have you felt about this Jazz team and the way Coach Snyder has them playing? It's been fun to watch. What a run it's been. They've hit a little bit of a challenger with injuries, et cetera, the last week or two. But in general, they've really come together as a team. I think that the trust level and, and the rapport between the teammates out of the floor, it's been fun to just see them kind of come together. And I think they'll get through this rough spot. I'm actually kind of glad they're having this rough spot now rather than 10 games from now because it gives them a chance to kind of go through that wall, which every team does and kind of rebuild and regroup and build some momentum going into the playoffs. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Would it surprise you if you're the 49ers pick? I'll say it's half and half. It was surprising but maybe it was definitely surprising because you know it's a lot of of great quarterbacks in that draft and I think the first four picks will be quarterbacks. That's Kyle Pitts, the Florida Gators tight end, excellent receiver, run on quarterbacks at the start. We had Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group on. And he said Kyle Pitts is generational talent and gave us a bunch of stats about his his wingspan, the catch radius, his speed, his strength, all that kind of stuff. Called him a unicorn. Compared him to Megatron. Acknowledged that's unfair for a guy who hasn't even drafted yet to compare him to a Hall of Famer. But pointed out, quarterbacks are going first because for all of Megatron's greatness in Detroit, what did they do in the postseason? How often did they get there? And what did they do when they did get there? Because you got to have an elite quarterback. So it's going to be a run on quarterbacks. And PK, uh, Luke Easterling, when he came on, uh, real mixed reviews on Zach Wilson. Admitted the highlight tape was awesome, but the low light tape, what did that lead to? I wonder if he could ever get drafted. Why would he get drafted? Yeah. I, 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 the thing that uh, I'm just glad the draft is going to be here so you stop talking about Pitts. I just wish that Florida wouldn't have played the 10 a.m. games on Saturday morning so you didn't get to see him play as much as you did. I wish they would have kicked off at like 5 o'clock and you, you wouldn't know as much about him, but you studied him big time because they played every game at 10, and you were sitting home watching it, weren't you? Admit it. Admit it. Absolutely admit it. Yes, the answer is yes. 
No, there were a couple of them, yeah, but it was more. <laughs> it's also a lot of highlights because they didn't play every game at ten a.m. Yes, they did. So. They played every game at ten a.m. Okay, Go back whatever. and look. In in the in the coronavirus well, year, they did. Absolutely, I, I didn't. Did. I didn't watch all of their games. You I'm watched not that every hardcore. single one of them. Yes, I you really were. did. I really you, didn't. But I you all, loved I am, Dan Mullen when he was here, and you love Dan Mullen now. I am. I am all in on Kyle Pitts. I thought he. I, I was didn't notice that. Spectacular. Yeah. Did you and know you said Yuck? You were really, I mean, it's, nope. fun, it's fun to mock me, but you were really disappointed when Luke Easterling proved to be more all in on him than I was. I know, but we just don't need to ask every single guest about it. We got it. Hey, did you think Babe Ruth was a good player? Yeah, I did. We got it. I understand. He's a great player, and he's going to make some team very, very good, much better at the tight end position, no doubt. Or what did he call him? What did you say? Unicorn? Yeah, uh, unicorn. He, that was his line. Yeah, he said yeah. he's a unicorn. Well, tight ends need to be able to do that these days. They need to be able to get downfield, uh, obviously. And they can be massive weapons. We only need to look at the good teams. And the good teams, they usually have a good tight end. That's what's interesting about Zach Wilson is that, you know, it was a significant blow, we thought, when Bushman went down. Now, yeah, obviously, right? to the young man. It was a major blow. I don't discount that whatsoever. Wish him nothing but the best. Remember, he played on that crappy team a few years back, and it was obvious. You could see, all right, this guy has talent. I mean, everybody could see that. We watched him play back when they really sucked, and he was a good interview because you were looking for some guys who did something, and he was like the only guy really offensively who did something that year, and now he has an opportunity and wish him nothing but the best. But the point I'm making Zach Wilson was really good, and he had a really good tight end in Rex. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you can pretty much pair up for BYU when they've been really good. How good was the tight end? Well, the tight end probably, and in a lot of cases it's tight ends, plural. In a lot of cases when they've been really good, the tight end is an NFL dude too. It's an interesting correlation there. So you've got not just a good quarterback or a good tight end. You've got them both in BYU's history, right? We should go back. It's not really a topic for now, but in, in the summer uh, after the Jazz get after the parade and see the correlation between the two is really, uh, what would you say, remarkable or consistent? I don't know what the word would be, but that's, I think, it, at least to me anyway, interesting that, Great quarterback, great tight end. Now, I disagree completely with Zach Wilson, but I've been a Zach Wilson homer since he was in high school, and I've said that. And I've relied on people who tell me and just know way more about it. They do it for a living. And so then they tell me stuff, and I've been told about Zach since he was uh, in high school, literally. So I would disagree with uh, your guy that we just had on, Luke, that I wouldn't say, well, how is he going to get drafted? Because if you notice, John Beck, we had John Beck on last week, and John said his sophomore year, John saw it. Now, he was inconsistent that year. He had the thumb injury, and did, you know, he just didn't play all that well. Uh, Hawaii game with the three turnovers and blah, blah, blah. But John, who has a keen eye for it, he said as a sophomore, he knew that Zach had NFL potential. Well, the low light tape is an interesting thought, but I think you got to be real careful with it because as players get better, those are the plays that they eliminate. Now, maybe you think he just can't eliminate them, but if you did a low light tape for the best receivers, would you have a bunch of drops? You know, if you did a low light tape for whatever defender, you know, how many times is there a missed tackle or blown assignment? I mean, people make mistakes. So if you want to find their 15 worst plays and make them look bad, 
You can do that with and anybody. When were they, they? The, yeah, right. Well, and and Twitter just watching stuff during the show today. Somebody tweeted out something about the New York Football Giants and Mark Bavaro, and he carried Ronnie Lott for fifteen years and no or fifteen yards, what? and no Giants oh. fan will forget that. I'm like, okay, we'll put that on Ronnie Lott's low light tape, but. But he's Ronnie bleeping lot. I mean, let's not make fun was of him. Was he playing for the Jets or was he playing for the Niners? He was with the Niners, I think. I think oh, that was yeah, in Ronnie a Lott's playoff the best safety game. I've ever seen in right. my life. Right, yeah. So his low light tape has him getting carried for 15 yards, piggyback style, uh, by an NFL tight end making a great play. And how do we know Ronnie wasn't nursing some injuries at that point and whatnot? Yeah, Ronnie Lott, wow. I mean, he's, he's the man. Yeah, he really is. He really is the man. He's to tight, uh, safeties to what Jerry Rice is to, to receivers as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm obviously biased because I saw him play in college all the time and obviously saw him play in the NFL with those great, great 49er teams. But, yeah, you're right. So uh, you can't really get caught up on that. I can remember we had uh, so one of the guys that was uh, – he split the uh, time with Kyle Goon on the Ute beat, and he's long since gone. And he went over to news with the watchdog, and then he took off some other place. And I could see his face, but I can't remember his name. And he was talking about uh, – we asked him about Joe Williams. Uh, and he said, well, look at his highlights. And he says, yeah, but every time I watch highlights of everybody, they're running for touchdowns. <laughs> and that, that's what they are. That's what the, the point of those things are is their highlights. And so, yeah, they've all got them. If you're, if you're getting a scholarship in college – from high school, you got them, and if you're being considered to be drafted from the for the, the college in the NFL, you got them. So that's not what it's about: highlights, lowlights. It's about the ability to play at this level. And the Jets and a lot of other folks believe that Zach Wilson has that. We can get in that tomorrow. I posted that question on Facebook before the Jazz had the injuries. And tomorrow's the draft. You know, what will he do in the NFL? And even if he didn't go second, whoop de do. So you go third, fourth, or fifth? Who really cares as far as that goes, you know? As far as what, second? Okay. If you go to a better team, yeah. Possibly. You don't know that. No. Uh, no, but I think this year the scenario everyone's looking, and I don't know if the Patriots will trade up or not, but if they trade up to from 15 to 7 – and get the last quarterback because the whole five guys and nine picks thing, the Patriots tra- trade up. It might be five quarterbacks in the first seven picks. But if you look at some of these franchises, I got to I got to think there'd be some agents who'd tell their players, "Relax, man. You just went to the Patriots. <laughs> this isn't all bad." <laughs> uh, yeah, but how do I know how long uh, Mr. Belichick is going to continue? If you have success in your first three or four years and they pick up the option like they did for Lamar Jackson for $22 million, that's a win. If you get a second contract, that's a win. Uh, to your point, he's now late 60s, so if you have a glorious 15-year NFL career, he's probably not going to be there for the whole thing. That's not likely, right? He's not coaching into his 80s. So there's that. But you want to get off on the right foot. You know, We just see guys go to the wrong team, and it's just never right. Uh, yeah, but what is the wrong foot? I mean, Troy Aikman was uh, awful. Wasn't Peyton Manning? Weren't they like one in fifteen, or was that Troy? Troy was one so, in fifteen. Uh, you know, Manning wasn't good. Elway got off to a bad start. I mean, you can definitely get off to a bad yeah. start and be a Hall of Famer. But I think in all, in all those cases, you look at them and think there was like a core structure there that was on the right track, and that doesn't mean okay. you came out swinging and you crushed it right from the get go. Uh, so how do we know that the Jets aren't on that? We don't. We don't. Everybody's new. The GM's new, but their coach is new. Yep. Yep. It's a rookie coach, rookie uh, coordinator. 
thing that worries me a little bit is the coach picked up LaFour, brought him with the Niners, and LaFour is the brother of the Green Bay coach who, how do you say the, the new Jets coach? Robert Sala. Uh, Sala, yeah. It's the thing that concerns me a little bit. So he cho- he chooses LaFour's brother to be his coordinator. Well, he was the best man at LaFleur's wedding, the Green Bay coach. So is there a little bit of nepotism going on there? Nepotism and friendship. Is that uh, trumping elite? mm. Yeah, but but friendship relationship, and is that trumping elite football coach? Well, and the thing also on this, this is an extension. You remember Sean McVay, of course, the Los Angeles Rams coach. Everybody who's been connected to that guy recently has been a hotshot prospect. Both of the LaFleur brothers worked for him, and as such, one's a head coach, one's now an offensive coordinator. Yeah, but some guys have great coaching trees, and those guys have success. Yeah, so yeah I mean, I'm, I don't know. Right. I don't yeah. know. No, I get I your point. I have no idea. The other thing we talked about today that might be new news for some of you listeners here at the end of the show, uh, the Athletic is just all over the college football playoff, and they uh, not citing sources but saying that the, the one that's in the lead is the 12-team format, four buys, uh, eight opening round games on campus. Not clear if the quarterfinals would be on campus. I expect they would be. Maybe they'd put all the quarterfinals on New Year's Day and move the season back a week. Well, that's, be good. That, that's good news because uh, in Tempe, it's good weather in December. Sweet. <laughs> see what I've done there? I do. I see. I see. Absolutely. So 12 teams, and uh, that gets uh, five automatic bursts, and you could have uh, a bunch of at-large teams. So the SEC and the Big Ten could be looking at getting three teams in. Uh, but they, they're very concerned about making sure that uh, – there's something at stake in the regular season. They feel that, I think the 12-team format's getting pumped up because four teams will be fighting for, you know, teams will be fighting for those four buys, teams will be fighting for those four home games, and then teams will be fighting to get those last four berths and get in. And so there'll be something at stake for, for everybody. And the bowl games will take a hit, but the bowl games have been slipping in importance with every passing year and Guys have been opting out of them, so I think that's pushing it. And I think there's also teams inside the power conferences who are saying, how are we ever going to get past all of these teams? Uh, Ohio State's a good recent – or Iowa State. Iowa State's a good recent example of – like they beat Oklahoma, they had the best regular season record, and then they had to turn around and play Oklahoma again. And if you split with Oklahoma, the tie goes to the Sooners. So there's a lot of different groups pushing for an expanded playoff. And maybe well, I think we'll get to eight. I don't think it's six. I think we'll get to eight. I don't know that we'd go beyond it. That seems a little surprising to me, but a lot of reporting indicates that's what they're thinking now. Five years out, time to change their mind. Yeah, eight, eight seems good enough for me. All right. We've also been talking a lot of jazz this morning. We got a lot of feedback from jazz fans. Large amount of negativity heading into the game with the Kings. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. I can't believe today was a good day. Good morning, DJ and PK. I'd like to report on the Jazz game tonight before it starts. They're going to lose by 12, and the Jazz will only get 102 points. It's going to be ugly. When the playoff teams come out with energy, ratcheting up their efforts, playing solid defense, the Jazz won't stand a chance because all they want to do is launch the three. Well, PK, it may not 
help the Pac-12, but maybe the Pac-12 should help themselves by fielding good teams and quitting all the shenanigans and hire a commissioner that knows what the heck he's doing and the TV stuff will fall in line. There's the open mic from today. Grab your phone, use our app, use the 1280 The Zone app, use the open mic, and send us your takes. A fair amount of negativity surrounding the Jazz right now, PK. Eric tweets at us, feels like the Jazz are limping to the playoffs. We're not even, I don't want to say we're, I take that back. I was going to say we're not close to it, but obviously we are. But let's get Mitchell back and make an, an assessment. Not that uh, he's going to save you from everything, but at least the, the the stuff that they built was largely with Mitchell playing. He can I mean, he missed two or three games this year until now. Uh, so let's see what they got now. I mean, two losses, and we're and, and, I, and, and I guess it's more than that, as you say. Yeah, it's six and six in the last twelve. But he was yeah. there for some of those twelve. You got me. Uh, before that, though, there was also a nine-game win streak, and the law of numbers. Come on. If you're going to win 70% of your games, you go on a nine-game win streak, there's a few L's out there for you. It's going to happen. You you try to make sure it doesn't, but it's going to happen. And I think that if you take the best player off a lot of teams, they would all hit a a rough patch. I mean, we've seen it with the Lakers and the Clippers. We've seen it. uh, I guess the, the surprising thing is we haven't seen it so much with the Nets. But it's the East. It's a different schedule. And they got three guys who can play at a really high level. So that's a little different beast over there. For the Jazz, could he have made a difference in these one and two possession games? Well, obviously, yeah. he could have. Um, they have other bad losses. They've lost to Minnesota earlier in the year, so he might not have. You know, there's no guarantees. But you think he would have would have helped at some point. I think he would have, but at the same time, they still should have at least split yep. these last two games. Yep. So now the, the guys who are available should have some serious resolve tonight. Because you don't win tonight, then you're looking at a four-game losing streak because you got to go to Phoenix. Scorp Daddio says, I don't know if they're going to win tonight. It depends on if Jekyll shows up to play or if Hyde does. The Jazz have not been running on all cylinders for a month. They've been lucky. It's not a full-fledged dumpster fire yet. They need to decide if they're a good team and want to win, then act like it. Or not. <laughs> Ow. I got a little harsh at the end. (laughs) The thing I think that you've got to look at in these last two losses is they've defended pretty well. We don't, I mean, I know they butchered the play, the screen at the end, and Gobert made the mistake, right? But on the whole, it bugs me more, and I question their effort more when they're giving up 120, 125, 130 points a game. They're not dialed in. They're better than that. So if you don't have your leading score and a guy who creates a lot of shots for other people, and you lose a low-scoring game by a possession or two, it seems to me he can come back and fix those problems. Now, if you're not defending, then I'll question your want to win and how hard you're working and all of that. But if you're down and giving up 100, 105 points a game, you want to win, you're acting like it, you're defending at a pretty good level. Well, that's what Quinn said, but at the same time, my gosh, you're playing Minnesota, so you better not be giving up 130 points. They're a crappy team. We can talk bad matchups and this and that. But when did the number one seed say the team with the 14th record in the conference or whatever they are yep. was a bad matchup? I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Pull that out. That, that is come, something. I'm not going to accept that. Through that out, yeah. I'm not going to accept that. I will accept it to a degree that you didn't have Mitchell, but still. 
That the Minnesota you shouldn't have gotten swept. matchup. You shouldn't have gotten swept. Even well, without Mitchell, you shouldn't have gotten swept. Exactly. Yeezy says, with the Lakers and Nuggets sitting where they are, I believe the Jazz don't want the number one seed anymore. Lakers and Nuggets? Look like they're going to be the four and five. Okay, but you're just trading it in to get the sons of the Clippers. So I don't see where there's this big advantage. I agree with you. You you can't backdoor the second round in the West this year. You can backdoor the second round in the East. If you get the one seed in the East and you get four, there's a big drop-off from three to four. I don't want to backdoor anything. I've never backdoored a thing in my life. Well, I guess the argument being in the East, you just earned it. There's three good teams, and you earned the easier opponent. You earned it. Sure, I understand that. That's an excellent point. Uh, But you're right. And I suppose the late – that's what I was thinking about. The Clippers have the best team, I think especially if I'm comparing them, they have the better team than the Lakers. But the Lakers' top-end talent is better than anybody else's top-end talent in the West. And the problem is there have been so many guys sitting out, and maybe they're sitting – maybe maybe Kawhi's sitting out because he's really hurt. Maybe he's sitting out because he's hurt a little, and sitting out seems to be what he does in the regular season. And we're five weeks away, and who knows who's going to be healthy when you get there. So how do you know what's the easiest matchup? The team that has the most injuries will be the easiest matchup. You can't possibly know that right now. I I think I'd rather have, if the Nuggets should pull the upset, I'd rather have them. Since you know that they're going to have injuries. Jamal Murray's not getting healthy. He sent out that photo of his leg yesterday. Like, yeah, he's not playing on that right away. Well, he's walking through that door. It's just that he's limping. Yeah, right. He will will walk through that. He will he will not run. He will not jump. He will not cut. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. And we'll he will see. just and, hobble along. Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. I don't take any glee in that, obviously. Uh, but uh, I don't, And I don't think the Nuggets would beat the Lakers. But suppose you, you did that, and then you got the number one seed, and then you got lucky. Like, the, the, what, what was the year the Jazz went to the finals? That uh, who The Warriors, they upset Dallas. Was that what it was? And Dallas Correct. was the one yep. seed. It was an eight-one upset. Yep. Yeah. So oh, when they went to the sudden, conference finals in the yeah, the the conference, conference finals. finals. Yeah, they went to the conference yeah. finals with uh, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. Yeah. yeah, I meant conference. Uh, yeah, they were yeah. the they won the four-five series over the Rockets, and then the Warriors were the eight and shocked the top-seeded Mavericks. Yeah. So you, you just don't know. Which and would it's, be the it's worst, not worth worrying about. It would be the worst case scenario if the Jazz were the one and then they did lose to the eight. I mean, that would oh, be that, that would be shut hor- your mouth. That'd be horrific. But that Maverick team came back a couple years later to win the NBA title. So sometimes you need those scars along the way. Who's to say? Ah. Who's to say that that isn't what helped launch them to the title? And they were down two zero in the finals to LeBron, and they came back and won. Amazing. So, you never know. You don't. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty, stay with us.